What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Real Bodybuilding Podcast. This is episode number 121, and I'm here with Mr. Jeff Nippard. How are you, sir? I'm good, man. How are you? I'm very, very good. I'm uh, glad to have you on. Me and you became uh, acquainted through John mm-hmm. and um, an unfor- un- unfortunate circumstances, but uh, I'm happy to have you on and I'm happy to uh, able to relay your information to people because I know you have a ton of it. And John was very, spoke very highly of you. And I know you guys did seminars together and stuff. So, mm-hmm. um, how are you doing, man? Uh, I'm good. Yeah. Um, it's kind of cool that that brought us together because I think John was special in his way to kind of, um, bring peace to both sides, like of the, the science-based community and like the bro community, if you will, like yeah. he, he was one of the very few people who I think was universally adored by everyone like everyone in the science space and he's loved him everyone in the uh like ifbb world seemed to have a ton of respect for him so you know that that, i think that's that's pretty cool and um it was cool for me to see uh, you commented on my my tribute video to john um and i had watched yours before i read that comment so it was like kind of cool to see us both going through like a similar thing and um i do have to give props to you for that video because like I can only imagine, you know, I think you said at the beginning of the video, it was like your seventh or eighth yeah. take or something like that. And it's yeah. like, man, you know, for me, I had to like, I just spent, I think the next day, pretty much just the whole day, um, going through like old footage and kind of putting it together in sort of like a tribute to him. Um, but yeah, trying to like express how I felt in that moment must've been, would have been really hard for me, but I thought you did like a super, super good Thank job you. with that as well. So Thank you. anyway, I, uh, yeah, I thought, I think, um, that was one of the things I love most about John was, uh, and, and I don't want to turn this into an entire John podcast, but just <laughs> since you touched on it, uh, it was one of the things I loved about him most. And this is kind of part of the reason why I like getting people like you on is he had all the practical knowledge and the experience in the gym, but he loved reading all the literature and the research and all that. So it wasn't just, he wasn't a bro scientist, but he wasn't a scientist either. It was kind of like he was in the middle and he would, and sometimes he would tell me, say, look, the science says this, but in the gym, it just doesn't work. Yeah. And I really, really liked that about him because, yeah. uh, it wasn't anecdotal. It seemed like he had really, you know, thought everything through. So one of the reasons I like getting people like you on is, you know, I'm more bro. I'm more, you know, let's, whatever works in the gym, let's do what works in the gym and what we've been taught. And it's nice to kind of mix the two worlds mm-hmm. sometimes. And also you're a natural lifter. Yeah. And I think it's important that, you know, a lot of times, if you're natural, some, some natural guys look down on guys who are enhanced and enhanced guys look down on guys who are natural. And I feel like when we can all sit around and talk because we all have the same interests and we all just want to be better bodybuilders mm-hmm. uh, or have better physiques, I think it's a good, it's a good thing to do. So that's why I, I wanted to have you on. I, I really uh, appreciate what you've been doing. So mm-hmm. uh, to, to get into it, I want to just show people, I like to do this kind of at the beginning of the show is to show people kind of a little bit of who you are for those people who don't know who you are, who may be living under a rock. Uh, Jeff's Instagram is Jeff Nippard, uh, just all one word. If you're on audio, no dots, no spaces, no underscores. Um, this is your Instagram page. Mm-hmm. I have to ask you this question. Mm-hmm. Have you been accused of not being natural because you are definitely a thicker natural guy? <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm, I'm thick and short. So I think, I think that's my saving grace with people. Like people be like, Oh, I don't think he's natty, but then they figure out I'm like barely five foot five. And then they're like, <laughs> okay, maybe, like maybe, <laughs> um, but, uh, 
but yeah, so I think um, I used to get it a bit more, but um, yeah. for whatever reason, I just feel like people, it, like there definitely is the odd person who will call yeah. me out as not being natural, but like, I have like a bunch of saving graces in this regard. Like I've been tested more or less all throughout my natural body bodybuilding career. So yeah. I'm not just an Instagram dude. Like I've done six natural bodybuilding shows and I've earned my pro card in natural bodybuilding. Okay. So like that helps. Like I've passed several piss tests and polygraph tests. I've never failed a test. Um, yeah. And I like, I'm not a big guy. Like I'm, when I'm lean, I'm like one 50, like stage weight and off season. Like right now I'm like 180. Boy. So you know, it's not gigantic guy. Right. Um, so go ahead. Sorry. I'm just reading the numbers here. It says you're 167 here. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So yep. it's weird. Cause in photos, like this looks a lot bigger than 167, but then I mm -hmm. read it. So, mm -hmm. so yeah, I mean, you don't have any, any of the hallmarks of somebody who is enhanced. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, other than, <laughs> I guess. Than... <laughs> no, no, no. I don't mean that. I mean, like I was, just, he didn't let me finish my sentence. I'm I'm just saying, yeah. I was going to say other than the muscle, like other, right, than, right. other than being thick, you don't have any of yeah. the other signs of somebody who would be enhanced, but I mean, mm -hmm. you have a very good physique. It's very complete. Nothing's you're not lacking anywhere. It's, it's so did you reach pro status as a natural lift as a natural competitor? Yep. Uh, so I'm technically a pro, but I'm fairly inactive lately, um, just because of other commitments and stuff, um, in the WMBF. So the world natural bodybuilding federation, sure. um, in my opinion, I think they're the, they're the most stringent with their testing and they're pretty reputable worldwide. They've got affiliates everywhere. Um, so I earned my pro card, uh, in 2014 with them and did one pro show, uh, with them and I've been on a bit of a hiatus, uh, since then, but, okay. um, yeah, I've, I am, I am, I, I technically did earn a pro card. Yeah. 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 So you also are, I was just showing that last clip, you're also involved in powerlifting. Mm -hmm. Did you compete in powerlifting or is it just something you love to do? Yeah. So I've actually competed equally in both. So I've done, I think six powerlifting meets and six bodybuilding shows. Um, and I've gone up to the national level in both. So in 2012, I actually won the lightweight class in the CBBF natural stream, which is like the IFBB's affiliate here in Canada. Yeah. Um, I don't know if they still split that up in the CBBF, but mm -hmm. they used to. So um, I did like kind of the natural stream under them, whatever, we can get into that if you want. But uh, after winning the lightweight class there, I went on to compete in just a different organization because I thought their testing was a bit better. Um, but as for, as for powerlifting, I, I also competed uh, nationally. I placed second uh, at Canadian Nationals for my weight class, which is 74 kilos, like 163 pounds. Sure. Um, and then I qualified for the Arnold in powerlifting, which was a lot easier to qualify for uh, back then. Um, but I got injured. And so I had to pull out of that meet. And then I've done a couple little like local meets since then. Yeah. Haven't really pursued it on any level. Just kind of, you know, what you see on my IG page there is kind of yeah, what you yeah. get. Yeah. So what's the most you've ever deadlifted? Uh, so in the gym uh, with straps, I've done 545. It's actually my, relatively speaking, my worst lift. Um, a lot of people don't realize how gym lifts don't extrapolate well to the platform. So um, what, do on, what do you mean by that? So like in, you can, most people can just lift more in the gym. Like when yeah. you get on, on in a competition setting, you don't have control over like your music playing. You don't have like your boys right. there hyping you up. Like there's judges watching. You got to be very strict. Like what would count as a hitch or like a red light in yeah. a deadlift in a meet would be fully passable on Instagram. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, 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 so, yeah. Like there's, a, there is a big difference there. Um, can, I, can I ask you a question before we move yeah. on? Can I ask you a yeah. question about the bar? Cause I had a friend who was uh, into powerlifting pretty heavily and mm -hmm. he told me that a deadlift bar 
at a meet doesn't bend. Yeah. So when you're lifting the weight, it's a lot harder because when the weight bends, it's almost like the weight is being lifted at a separate time yeah. in the gym. You know what I mean? Like, Oh, totally. Yeah. So uh, can you explain that to people that are watching? Because I, I don't fully grasp it. Right. <laughs> um, so no, understandable. So it depends on the Federation actually. So some, some federations will use like deadlift bars. Yeah. Um, and they, like you said, they, they bend more before the plate, the floor. So if you think about it, it's kind of similar to if you had like super long arms, or if you take like a really wide sumo stance, you can range of motion down. Yeah. Um, it's kind of similar with this. Like the plates don't have to travel as far because the bar is like already so far off the ground before they even leave the ground. So you can okay. lock it out more easily. Right. right. Um, interestingly with me where I always lifted on a stiff bar, when I tried to switch over to the deadlift bar, it didn't actually do anything for me, yeah. which is interesting because you, you end up getting what's called whip out of the deadlift bar. So like the yeah. plates, as it gets heavy, will kind of like bounce up and down as it, as it moves uh, up. Okay. And that can really like throw your balance off if you're not used to it, which is why people who compete in federations that use the deadlift bar tend to train with a deadlift bar. So they get used yeah. to that technique. Right. Got um, it. But then, yeah, in, in the IPF, which is the uh, organization I've competed in, um, they use a, a stiff bar, which okay. is, is harder, it, yeah. you know, yeah. generally speaking. What, um, yeah. what is your, what is, you said deadlifts was your worst lift. What is your best lift? I think my bench press relative to my body weight. Um, so I bench pressed 385 pounds uh, just a few weeks ago, I think. Um, at a, which at, at what body weight? It was like 175. Um, wow. Yeah. Crazy, so man. it's good. That, that would be like up there nationally um on a world level like there's just some crazy russian dude who would probably clobber <laughs> me but like <laughs> in canada i would probably with that i, I don't want to say because someone will be like actually but um yeah. it, it would be like top 10 probably for sure yeah um, that's great yeah, yeah but again that's in the gym so i can't brag too much right because you know in in meat they're they're very very strict with like how you have how long you have to pause it on your chest and like there has to be certain points of contact like in the gym like you know, we can stage the angle a little bit so that like, if my butt pops up, it's like, nah, bro, it was, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> in a meet, you can't get away with that. So it's 380 gym. And I think I've done something like 350, uh, in the meet, but in a meet, but that was like many years ago. And I think I would do better than that now, to be honest, yeah. but, um, I'm also a bit heavier. So I've always yeah. wondered about that pause on the bench press. It, it throws me off a bit because I've seen the, the really big the guy, one of the guys I was friends with was like 380 pounds and he's doing this thing and he brings the, you know, he brings the bar down, he's sitting it on his chest. Like you're supposed to, yep. but it almost feels like you get a spring like off your chest as you're pressing it. Mm -hmm. And I almost feel like from the outside looking in to somebody like, I don't know anything about powerlifting, so I don't want to say what's good and what's bad, right. but I almost feel like it would be harder if you brought it down and didn't touch your chest and had to pause and then mm. went back and then went back up because that's something me actually john me and john used to do those like yeah you know pause reps you bring it down hold it like one inch above your chest and then press back up and i'm like yeah. why do the why do the powerlifter guys rest it right on their chest yeah so that, what you're doing we would call in the powerlifting world a spoto press uh, after yeah. eric spoto and okay. people will do that to specifically try to train a weak point in the movement so like most people are usually weakest like maybe, you know, yeah. three inches off their chest. Like that's where, if they're not going to complete, usually people can get it off the chest, like you yeah. said, with that bit of spring, but yeah. then they, they just hit, hit a lot, hit, hit a sticking point here. So how you would train that would be using like what you do. Um, yeah. you, you would bring it down, maybe stopped about three inches from your chest and that becomes your new pause. And so what you're doing is making that portion of the lift 
harder. Yeah. And then that's how you get through it. Right. Um, you know, that not all coaches would agree with that. Some, some are a little more minimal, but that's what I believe. I believe that you can strengthen that point with, uh, pauses or like board presses where you take yeah. a, a yeah. board and stick it here. And then you train that part of the, the lift specifically. Um, but to your question, the, the reason powerlifters do it is just because that's, that's the rule. Like you have to, you have to contact the bar with your chest, pause it on your chest. And then a referee, there's three of them. One of them will, the head one will tell you press. And then that's, yeah. that's when you lift it. So if you jump the press command, yeah. then you get red lights and the lift doesn't count. So but it's, is there um, somebody, is there somebody monitoring how much spring is in the that spring press? doesn't matter. It, it, the only okay. thing is though, is once you, once you've, so the bar has to become motionless. Yeah. And if the bar is motionless, you can't bounce it really. Yeah. You can yeah. get a bit of recoil, which I do, yeah. but most of the best power lifters actually do what's called like a soft pause. So they'll come down, they'll barely touch their chest to reduce yeah. the range of motion. Right. And yeah. you can see yeah. that like people will clown this on Instagram, right. Where yeah. it's like, yeah. you got this huge arch and then you're like, your hands are this wide. <laughs> and you're like, no, it's you're literally this, just it's moving this far. rotating your shoulders. <laughs> like that's it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so like you can take it to the extreme. I personally sink the bar into my chest, pause it there while it's yeah. sunk, yeah. then get the press command. And then it can't sink further. That's the, that's the catch. So if yeah. you sink it any further to get a bounce, no lift then you're once the, your once you get the press command the bar can only go up sure. um so there's there's there are definitely ways to game the system and people do it <laughs> um but you know they they try to account for that with these like rules and stuff okay like that. so yeah. you just brought something up i have to ask you about because it's yeah. always driven me absolutely crazy <laughs> but i don't like to as i've gotten older i've realized that everybody do, trains a certain way for a certain reason so i don't like to talk badly about anybody's training style but i have seen lifters on instagram wearing the full body suit doing the powerlifting thing and like you said they're bench pressing and their back is arched like <laughs> it's like a full like it's like a I can't oh yeah even, i couldn't even arch my back like that if i tried okay yeah so, yeah, yeah so by the time they press it's like they're literally moving like mm -hmm. this because they're their chest is so high in the air. There's barely any motion. Yeah. <laughs> what is the, is there any benefit to that other than just saying I benched X amount of weight or is they actually doing something? Uh, all right. So, so this is, we're in like controversial territory right now. Right. Because okay. <laughs> if I say, if I say arching is cheating, then I'm going to make the bodybuilders in the room really happy. But yeah. if I say it That's isn't, right. then I'm going to make the power. You're kind of screwed either way. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I'll give my opinion on it. Um, so the issue is, is like, I think a lot of people get annoyed with the arch because it's like, oh, you couldn't bench press that much weight if you didn't arch. Right. And it's like, that's not a real bench press because you're barely moving the weight, um, which I think is like fairly, it is fairly valid, but like the power lifters retort to that would be do it then. Like you can arch, like you just said yourself, you couldn't do it if you tried. And it's like, that's not my problem. You can't yeah. do it. Like yeah. it's the yeah. same thing with sumo. It's like, people will say sumo is cheating. And it's like, Oh, you couldn't deadlift or I could deadlift that if I deadlifted sumo. And it's like, do it then. Like you can, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like, it's not my problem. You don't have the hip mobility to do it. Right. But yeah. that would be, that would be the power lifters defense. Um, so in powerlifting right now, there's kind of like divide like there's a group of people who think that the arching has gone too far yeah. um this is good this is insane there was um i think a chinese power lifter uh female because the, the female lifters tend to have they have a better, more impressive arch. arches yeah, right? yeah 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 um and so i think she was i think she was trying and uh she uh arched so much and used such a wide grip that she actually was able to bench press 
with zero range of motion. If you look this up on YouTube, it's like, I, I swear to God, like if you look it up on YouTube, it's zero range of motion bench press, right? One second, and so, I, gotta, I, gotta find, I gotta find Yeah, go it. ahead, look it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, while you're looking that up, I'll just, uh, I'll just keep talking. Range of motion. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> bench press. All right, let's see what comes up here. Okay, this is crazy, man. I'm just, I'm just giving your bodybuilding audience tons of ammunition. To that's just okay, I love people, it, I love right? it. Is, is this yeah. it here? So that's it there, yep, yep. Yeah, all right. I gotta, I gotta pay for premium. I don't. You I don't gotta get to. premium. Yeah, like, come on. Bro. <laughs> my, my audience is always killing me for this. I'm okay, so here she is. Um, yeah. yeah, no, no disrespect. I think she, I, I actually don't know if she's for if she's saying this is a good thing or just look at me. But um, if you skip ahead, yeah, yeah. So you'll see. So there's. Oh my god. Just watch this. Yeah, I'm. I'm sure the. Yeah. So look at this. Oh <laughs> look at her elbow. It didn't move. Her elbow's not even bent. And and bro, the crazy thing, this is legal. Like her butt is on the bench. Her upper back is on the bench. Her head is on the bench. And she's within the max legal grip width, which is the, the, the inside ring of the knurling. So that would actually fly in a meet. Then there's something wrong with powerlifting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so I think this video actually in particular, because this is the first time I think people have seen this, it, it's gotten But her, more, butt's not, her butt's not on the bench. It though. will when she unracks. You're allowed to have your butt off the bench until you unrack, and okay. then it has to come down. So look, she just dropped it down. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and now she'll unrack, and she's going to puff her chest all the way up. And her butt is actually still making contact. Barely, you can't tell yeah. from this angle, but yeah. it is. Yeah. The bottom, her lower glutes are on the, on the, the bench. So, um, yeah, <laughs> what a ridiculous, like, this is, come on, you know what, while we're on, while we're on YouTube really quickly and we'll, I, I will touch on this back in a second, but yeah. so Jeff, Jeff has a YouTube page. That's insane. He's got 2.67 million subscribers. And I've watched some of your videos, man. The, mm -hmm. the explanations are very thorough. Mm -hmm. If you need information on, listen, this is why people, you know, people ask me all the time, mm -hmm. like, Oh, do I need a coach? Do I need? And I'm like, yes, I think coaches are great. But if you can't afford a coach, there is tons of information out there. And uh, Jeff's YouTube page is crazy. It's very, very thorough. You can learn pretty much anything and everything you need to know. Uh, Thank you, man. So, yeah, I think you guys should check this out. Subscribe to his channel and all that while we're on here. Now, going back to the, going back to the powerlifting thing. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay, so you said powerlifters would say, well, just do it then. But in my mind, I'm thinking to myself, if I'm a powerlifter, yes, I want to win the meet based on their rules yeah but i also like it's kind of like um i related to a bodybuilding show okay if i if i go to a bodybuilding show and i win or beat somebody that i don't think i should have beat i go home at night and i'm like yeah i won but i don't think i should have won and it's kind of like a shitty feeling right right so i wonder to myself the power lifter that goes and, and bench presses 600 pounds but kind of did all these things to you know not cheat but like you know yeah. gain the system yeah. Does he go home and actually think he bench pressed 600 pounds? Uh, it, so, some of them, yes, but I think some of them have uh, kind of checked their ego on that point and, and recognize that like this has become a slippery slope for sure, where it's like, you know, I think you look at someone who arches like me and I'll get a little bit of pushback from like, you know, <laughs> let's say like bodybuilder purists on uh, Instagram and stuff like that that say I'm arching too much, but like yeah. by powerlifting standards, people would consider my arch to be very moderate, honestly. But people, like you said, who have like insane 
thoracic mobility and just like the right limb lengths to be able to get in that like contortionist position. Um, I think some of them are starting to realize that like, okay, once you get to the point where the bar literally doesn't have to move yeah. and it still counts as it, like there's uh, those rules are well. not no longer keeping pace with the changes in the athletes or whatever. Um, so there's like, I was going to start, like there's a camp of power lifters who think the bench press rules need to be changed and mm. how they're planning on doing that is not to, uh, outlaw the arch itself, because I actually am a fan of arching. I think it puts you in a safer, uh, position in terms of like the shoulder joint, and it does allow you to move more load. And I would compare it to like, I actually don't know anything about high jump, but I think there's a move called the Fallsbury flop or the Fallsbury flop or something exactly. like that, which is basically like, you know, how in high jump, you have to like jump over like a beam or whatever. Yeah. Well, before the, I'm going to, I don't know the date, but before some time, like the sixties or whatever, people used to just like use a different jump, technique where they would just literally it. try to jump over yeah. it. Right. Yeah. Like jump on a yeah. fence or something. Um, yeah. and then this guy, I, I don't, I forget the exact term, but he, he would run in backwards kind of thing and kind of spin and go up over it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so then everybody just started doing that because it's like, well, it's not illegal and it's, it's fine in the sport. And if you're a high jumper today and you don't do this maneuver, then you're not, you're just not fulfilling your potential. Yeah. So that's the way that I look at arching, but I do feel like the rules need to change a little bit. And I feel like the, the way to do that is just, uh, regulating grip width and, uh, credit to Johnny Candido. I think he was the first guy to actually propose this and it hasn't been taken up as far as I know. But I think it makes sense where according to your weight class, like if that, you know, lady that we looked at do the bench press had just brought her grip in, she would have to bring the that. weight yeah. down. Right. Yeah. So it's like, there has to be a variable grip width depending on the weight yeah. class or the height or whatever. Yeah. And then that'll ensure that like, okay, you're not just moving the bar like half an inch. Right. Like yeah. I, I feel like that just doesn't seem to capture what a bench press was meant to like. Yeah. It doesn't. And in, in a mainstream sense, like when people look at this, like I'm sure 90 plus percent of your audience would look at that and be like, nah, bro. Like well, that does not look like a bench press to me. You know what I, I mean? Like I, so like I said, I don't know anything about powerlifting really. And I look at it and I'm like, this is crazy. So I'm sure, yeah. like you said, anybody else watching it who doesn't know is probably thinking the same thing. Exactly. As far as the high jump guy goes, they're not really cheating. They just found a different way to go over. They're not, you know, it's not, this is, I think this is different in the sense that it's almost like you're only checking the boxes on the fine points. Like my back is on the, you know, my shoulders are on the bench. My butt is on the bench, but they've changed so much. It, yeah, you know true. I mean? But it's, it's hard to blame the lifters for that because that's literally what the rule book says. Like the rule book yeah. says you have to have your feet on the ground. You have to have your butt on the bench, upper back on the bench, head on the bench. And there is a max legal grip with, but it's the same for everybody. So as long as you do that, you're technically abiding by the rules of powerlifting. Yeah. So like they are, it's just, I think you need to blame the rule book right? Yeah, Not necessarily yeah. the athletes, because like, if I can win a world title or a national title by getting a little more arch, and I can work on that through foam rolling and, you know, these various mobility drills and so on and so forth, then it's, it would be rational to do it. Like, yeah, uh, it, it, you know, so it's, it's, it's this tough thing where I feel like the yeah. rules probably do need to change, but at the same time, I can't really fault lifters for doing it because I would do, honestly, I would do the same yeah. if I could. I was I also thinking, imagine you still saw somebody do the high jump, jumping head first over it. Yeah, you'd be like, bro, you're cutting yourself short. What are you doing? <laughs> no, but it'd be hilarious to see now because we, we haven't seen that in like so many yeah, years. Yeah, yeah. But I don't, but th that, that's actually an interesting comparison because I don't think this arching thing will ever, like the extreme arching will ever really be normalized in like the, the broader lifting community. No, no. And so what powerlifting is doing is essentially a disservice to itself because it just doesn't look appealing to the ma a mainstream audience who might otherwise be interested in it, yeah. which is kind of a shame because I think powerlifting is a great sport. I think it's really good, especially for natural yeah. lifters. I think it yeah. gives you a good outlet to be competitive, to give yourself some 
measure of progress when that becomes very difficult, like past the five to 10 year mark as a natural lifter. And so that's why I personally really love it. Um, and I think it can mesh well with like bodybuilding goals if you know what you're doing. Um, so anyway, yeah, that's, that's my whole rant on powerlifting. So what, what came first for you and not to get too much into your history, but what came first for you, powerlifting or bodybuilding, which one did you have a passion for first or both? For sure. Bodybuilding. Like, um, I got into that really early because my dad loved bodybuilding and my mom was a bodybuilder. She never competed, but like they both trained like it. And so when I was growing up, like we had like magazines around the house and stuff like that. So I was just ready, really young age introduced into it. Um, so I think I did like three or four shows, not three before I ever got into powerlifting. And the reason I got into it is because in around like the 2012, 2013 time zone in the natural bodybuilding community, it was just like extremely trendy for people yeah. to do powerlifting in the off season. Yeah. And then a lot of people got injured and then it fell out of, of Vogue. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I kind of came to that. Like I was, I was definitely, I hopped on the powerlifting bandwagon for sure. Interestingly, to the point that like, I think a lot of us convinced ourselves that like bruh, if you're not powerlifting, like, what are you even doing? Like I wasting remember. your time, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It was like that. Right. I remember um, that trend. I was, yeah. uh, it wasn't just the natural guys. It was huh. me and Paul. I remember me and Paul would train my Paul's my training partner. And I remember training at the gym and all of a sudden there was like a couple years where everybody came in with the high socks and like all the, the everybody started wearing chucks. That was me, bro. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wear chucks. Don't worry. I wear chucks too. Yeah. It's like, everybody it's all of a sudden it was like a whole crew of people with like chalk in their bag and they like were deadlifting their fucking like every week they were deadlifting like and it but it was cool to see because they were actually some of these guys were deadlifting like good weight but it was just funny because all of a sudden it happened all at once and me and Weird. paul would look around and go what happened it's like everybody's in a powerlifting all of a sudden um has anybody ever asked you i'm sure somebody's asked you this but I, i'm just curious myself if you got into bodybuilding so young and your parents were involved, um, why not the enhanced route? Why not the professional bodybuilding route? What kept you away from that? Other than, was it just health or was there something else? Um, well, I, I was definitely more tempted when I was younger, to be honest. Um, so like for my first show, uh, like it was an untested show. Um, this yeah. was just a provincial show. Um, and so most people I would say were using something. Um, so, I was like very, um, let's, let's say tempted to want to also. Yeah, yeah. And to the point that I was actually like, yeah, like screw it. I want to win. I'll, I'll do it. Right. And I told that to my coach and I think, I think he was going to have me take uh windstraw. Uh, I feel like that's a, that's a common one. Um, yeah. and uh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, that's one. so anyway, yeah. I was like, I was like, I think, I think it's an oral one too, or is it, is it, it comes, it comes to both. both? Yeah. yeah. Um, so anyway, I was like, I do kind of have a bit of a, thing with the needles, like, especially in like a non-medical context, like it kind of yeah. would freak me out a bit. So yeah. knowing this one was oral, I was like, all right, sure. Why not? Kind of thing. Um, but it just, it never, um, came in like, or he never did give it to me. I don't know if he was like, I don't think he's right. Like this first show, maybe he had like had better judgment than I did at the time or whatever, but I, I never did end up taking it. Now some people on the internet have heard, I've told that story before and they've heard it and they're like, didn't end up taking it, but like, I legit, like, I swear to God, like I, I did not. I believe it. you don't. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like I literally competed at like 142 at that show. So if I took it, it didn't fucking work. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, and then, uh, so after that though, I, it, I, I feel like the timing was perfect and kind of serendipitous because after that, 
I got introduced to the, that there was a natural bodybuilding world. So like, I was so naive at the time that I didn't, I didn't know there was natural bodybuilding and enhanced bodybuilding. Like for all I knew, all the guys I was following, which was for the most part, IFBB guys, maybe some of them weren't natural. I didn't know. I didn't, there wasn't all this talk about natty or not back then. So like, I I didn't know there was nobody talked about it. Right. And everyone in the IFBB was very hush hush about it as as far as I can remember. So it was like, how am I supposed to know? Right. Um, so anyway, after that, uh, I was introduced that there is in fact, you know, federations that test and there are people doing this successfully. So people like, um, and this will be any, any, so trigger warning disclaimer, like any conversation about this is going to set some people off. Cause they're gonna be like, Oh, he's not actually natural. He's not, I, I don't care. I don't care if they're natural or not. I'm just saying like, this yeah. was my experience. And at the yeah. time I believe they were, and I don't, now I couldn't care less if they are or not, but anyway, it's irrelevant. Yeah. So like Skip LaCour and Jeff Willett and like these, these guys were competing, um, in natural organizations. So I was very inspired by them. Um, and then I discovered science-based niche with guys like, uh, Lane Norton, uh, who, who actually ended up hiring as a coach. And, um, he kind of showed me the ropes with the, uh, training and nutrition from the natural side. And then that was when I just like, kind of went all in with that. It was like, so it wasn't so much a judgment thing, like, oh, I would never do that. Or, oh, I'm scared to do that. Even though I was a little bit scared to do that. Um, it was more so a just like, it just so happened that I was more attracted to the natural side. And then as I gained more experience with it, um, I think I just started to realize that like, on the one hand, I do feel like even though it is a challenge, it is, it almost has to be easier. Right. Because with the natural side, you only have to worry about your training nutrition. That's it. Um, and I would imagine like, once you throw pharmaceuticals into that, it's like, it just becomes another variable that I would imagine would be quite stressful and like just a lot to juggle if, if you're not, you know, very experienced with it. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm not right, but that's the way I always looked at it. Sure. Um, and then now like I do have, and now, yeah, I think I do have concerns with like the health side of it and then the mental health side of it. Like, I like the fact that I don't have to take anything and I look how I look, you know? Yeah. So it's like, I'm, I don't, I don't fluctuate up and down much. Like yeah. I do off season to like, I, I'm not that lean right now when I'm lean, I look better, but like at the same time, it's not a difference in muscle mass. Sure. Um, whereas I would imagine people who cycle would probably have to deal with that kind of like mental baggage of having to be like, I look really big and full now and I don't mm -hmm. at another time. And I I would guess that even with younger people, it's probably worse. So I don't have any, just, I I don't have any gripes with people who choose to do stairs whatsoever, like literally zero. I do have a slight gripe with people who use steroids and then compete in natural federations because that is cheating. Um, But outside of that, I mean, it's totally your choice. And I would never, like, I don't ever foresee myself being like, I'm going to go all in with, uh, try to get like an IFBB pro card or something like that. But yeah. like, I wouldn't be opposed to say into like my forties or fifties, like, uh, if my testosterone levels dip and I, I would be down to do TRT, something like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. That's a little different. Yeah. It's yeah. a little different. Um, so I, I, the mental health aspect of it's funny, no one's ever given me that answer. Mm. Um, it is a big, it is a big part of it. Uh, I don't know if it's as much like, you know, obviously you look better when you're on than when you're off, but, uh, I think the hormone fluctuation is the main culprit. It's almost like out of your control. I think, um, cause mm. some, cause some guys can keep looking pretty good when they're off, if they're very diligent with their diets and that. Um, but I don't think you control how your hormones are, 
you know, fluct the, the fluctuation in your hormones is what I think gets most of us. Um, <clears throat> on, on that note, real quick, like, I think people set this up to be like a black and white thing, like natural is very healthy and very straightforward and easy and enhanced is not. And then that is not true either. Like as a natural bodybuilder, if you're trying to cut to, you know, five, six, seven, eight percent body fat, even higher than that for some people, like mm-hmm. you go through terrible hormonal imbalances like it's very hard on your system like for naturals testosterone completely plummets Uh, like you have like castration level testosterone at at the end it's insane you have zero sex drive like it's it's terrible like as a man it's the last thing you would want especially as a man who's into bodybuilding you know what i mean yeah um and then the mental health things are are very difficult for naturals too like you you suffer from just extreme hunger and mood swings and irritability and all that stuff um and then um there's just uh like issues with your blood pressure and um like cortisol goes really high and it's like this is not the perfect picture of health either so it kind of does annoy me a little bit when natural bodybuilders are like I wouldn't do that because of the health things, but then they're competing every year as yeah. a natural. And it's like, that's probably not the health. Like if you're most concerned with your health, yeah. I would say to sit at like, I don't know, 10 to 15% body fat as a man and um, just lift for health and do cardio and stuff like that. Let me, right? So let yeah. me ask you this question. Um, a lot of times when somebody gets sick or ill or something tragic happens, everybody points to steroids. And I'm not one of these people that think steroids are healthy. I'm, I'll be the first one to tell people like, look, it's, it's, you're taking a risk. Like you're, you're going to affect your health. But I also think that in bodybuilding, one of the main culprits of a lot of our illnesses is just the amount of food we have to eat and the size we have to put on. Is that something that natural lifters? Cause I mean, I don't know how big the the biggest natural guy is in a pro federation, 220, 230. I don't know, but (sighs) I'm just, I think to myself, very big. Do you do natural lifters have to eat the same amount of food? And is that also, you know, part of the health aspect that you might have to look out for? Well, no, I don't. I, natural lifters, from what I see, don't usually have to force feed unless they're like an extreme hard gainer that, you yeah. know, in some cases they would. But yeah. those guys, in my experience, just tend to not have the genetics for, um, muscularity to begin with. So they're usually not competing in the first place. Um, like just in terms of the clients I've worked with, um, but the top guys, like even, you know, again, some people will say he's not natural, but like Doug Miller, uh, is probably the biggest natural guy. And from what I know, I know his coach very well. And like, I don't think his numbers are like, his macros are particularly high. I know he eats a lot of protein, but like, it wouldn't blow you away, like less than 3000 calories for sure. You know, he's, he's very big. He's over 200 pounds for sure. Um, on stage, I think. I could be wrong about that, but anyway, he's, he's like the biggest guy I know who, yeah. who competes naturally or competes in drug tested federations. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so anyway, uh, I think, um, with that, I, I do think there is a concern with the heart because, you know, research does show, um, enlargement and hypertrophy of, of the heart. And I, and I think that that is a concern for people who use anabolic steroids, but I do also think that a lot of the concerns have been overblown by like documentaries in the mainstream media. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. And then I think they've been undermined by other sources like, um, I think actually I forget now, but like other documentaries will kind of brush it off and you'll hear people yeah. like, where are the bodies? Where are the bodies? Like you'll hear yeah, stuff like that. Yeah. Right. And it's like, I feel like both of those extremes don't quite have it right. But I do believe that there is 
a health risk that you, like you said, there is a health risk that you undertake and there's a mental health risk that you undertake, but you also undertake health risks if you decide to compete naturally um, and mental health risks if you decide to compete naturally. And there are health risks if you decide to compete in any sport. Um, But again, this is where it gets a little bit gray for me because a lot of the young guys on YouTube, like information about steroids is as common as apple pie at this point like everybody can access it at any point in time it wasn't like that when i was growing up so one of my deterrents was like just a lack of knowledge i do wonder that like if i was 18 19 getting ready to do my first show and i was just like i want to win i'll I'll do whatever it takes like i'll train all my meals exactly spaced you know six meals a day at exactly this time i don't care what i got to do like and then i you know go on youtube and i hear guys you know talking about their cycles and stuff like that Maybe I would have, you know, and maybe that's, maybe that, I don't know if that's good or bad, but I just feel like people aren't always necessarily exposed to the fact that like, yes, there, there, you know, there is a risk. And, and some people do their due diligence and they'll say, this is a risk. If you decide to do it, this is what I'm doing. I'm just being transparent about it, which I think is a good thing, but I do feel like there's been this weird, like counter effect where people in like mainstream YouTube and whatever else have really put people on a pedestal, like morally for being so open about their steroid use. And it's like, they'll be like, that's so amazing that you're so open about it. And it's so good. And it's like, it is good. Everybody likes honesty, but at the same time, like you're giving a lot of information about something that carries a pretty heavy risk to a lot of people. So like, there's also a little bit of a responsibility factor on that end too. So it's like, would you rather them like hide it and be hush hush and not talk about it? And then, you know, then that's a bad thing because people are like, oh, you're being dishonest. Or would you rather than be fully upfront about it? And then you're exposing teenagers and people to like uh, helpful steroid information, which might actually harm them. Yeah, that's a good point. And I've never actually thought about that as somebody who has a show and started the show because there was kind of, uh, when I started the show was partially because there was a lot of, uh, there was some guys making videos and kind of glamorizing steroids and how Mm. amazing they were and how heavy their doses were and, I thought this is nonsense, man. I got to do this and people got to hear it firsthand out of the mouths of actual pros and not somebody who knows a pro. So that was part of the reason why I started it, but I never considered the fact that talking about it may normalize it. And I I don't know. (laughs) No, but I mean, it's just, it's it's just a good point that you bring up because I feel personally, I feel like it's better to hear from a top pro that you admire that he takes X amount versus not knowing at all and only hearing a rumor and taking triple that amount, right? But I also get your point of view, which is maybe if that guy's your hero and you hear him talk about it, like it's no big deal, then it becomes no big deal and you don't really take it seriously. Yeah, uh, it's one of those things where no matter, like you're damned if you do, damned if you don't kind of thing. But yeah. I, I, I think that your approach is actually quite noble because there are going to be a group of people who are going to do it regardless. And I would just rather them have the right information then because they're going to get exposed like the, the internet has made the world so small that it, we can't go back to when i was a teenager and i was looking in magazines and didn't know anything so my one source of information was the dude at the gym right like that one guy who competes right so it's like uh it's very different now because no matter where they turn they're going to be seeing it and they're going to hear information so it's 
much better to have someone like you who is going to counteract the bad stuff because yeah. the bad stuff is out there and they're going to see it. So it's better to have someone like you to balance that out. But it's just something, it's more of just like a thought experiment for me. It's kind of like, you know, people see it as just like 100% net good, but it's like, there is the other reality yeah. that like people yeah. are like, I, I actually don't know. I'm sure there's like data on this, but like, I would imagine steroid usage amongst teens and like young adults is probably increasing. Oh, definitely. It has to be definitely. right. Yeah. And, and yeah. that has to be at least in part due to YouTube. But given that that's an inevitability, it's required that there, like, there has to be someone like you who just will actually give honest, good information yeah, about it. So yeah. that's great. It kind of reminds me of, um, there's a, uh, guy in our industry, Lyle McDonald, who wrote a book called, uh, I forget now, but it's something like the, the best way to crash diet or something yeah. like that. And it's yeah. like, nobody wants to hear about a crash diet. It's bad, but he's like, you, you guys are going to do it. So it's like, I might as well tell you how to do it in the safest, most effective way. Right. Yeah. And he talked about like how you need to make sure you have essential fats and like, you need to cover your micronutrient bases and you need to have very high protein, higher than normal to make sure you don't lose muscle and like right. laid it out in like a very, uh, appropriate way, given that like, yeah. you don't want to crash diet, but if you're going to, here's how you should yeah. do it kind of thing. Yeah. Like, and I think that's necessary. I think that's that makes necessary. sense. Yeah. 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 Um, I want to get into some myths and I want to get into some debates that, you know, I hear ongoing Nice. and I'd like to get your take on them. So uh, one of the things I wanted to get into was consistency versus hard work work. So a lot of times I see these two types of people in the gym. Right. And I know that the, the obvious answer is both. Right. But I see these two types of people in the gym, the guy that goes to the gym every day <clears throat> and trains at like a 60%, you know, intensity or 60% effort. And then, but he's there every day, every day without fail, you know, his diet is pretty good. And then there's the other guy who trains balls to the wall, hundred percent, 110%, but he's only there five days a week. You know, he's got the weekends off, he's out drinking with his buddies or he's eating, you know, whatever he's eating a bunch of garbage. What, what do you tell these guys? How do we get these guys to realize that they both are wrong? How do you, how do you explain to the consistency guy that he needs to, you know, increase his effort? And how do you explain to the hard work guy that you could take it down a notch, but do more? You know what I mean? And which one is, yeah. which guy gets to the end faster? Let's say they don't change. Which one's more important? Whoever has the better genetics now. <laughs> um, I, I feel like, yeah, that, that's a tough one because you, you hit the nail on the head. Like they're, they're both not ideal. No. So which one is worse, right? Um, I, I, I tend to dislike the consistent, but only going at 60% effort more. I, I feel like that's most likely just to result in you spent 10 years in the gym and you look no different now than you did at the beginning. Right. Yeah. Whereas the hard work guy, yes, he, um, he may not get there quite so fast and he may not get lean if he's like going out on the weekends and stuff like that. But I do think he would see better progress. Like there yeah. is, it's just simply true that there's an effort threshold that you have to cross to maximize your progress. And there's an effort threshold that you have to cross in order to see any progress. Mm -hmm. And so if you're below that threshold, it does not matter how consistent you are. You might still get benefits in like terms of health and like general fitness and like mental health and all that stuff. But like in terms of being a better bodybuilder, Nah, it's not going to cut it. Right. And yeah. it's the same thing, but you can apply this almost across anything because like, I hear this all the time. A lot of people ask me questions about YouTube and it's like, I'm consistent. Like I upload four days a week, whatever. And it's like, 
if it's not quality uploads, yeah. it yeah. almost doesn't matter. Like it, it's not useless, but the reason it's not taking off is because you're not putting in that hard work into the individual videos. So I would prefer the latter. I think I would rather see people put in hard work and go to the gym two days a week than have them like be really consistent, but they're not really applying themselves. I got now, obviously the best one is to have the consistent person work a little harder and have the uh, hard work person uh, maybe find something that's more sustainable so they don't feel like they can only go to the gym twice or whatever. But you, uh, you get the idea that somewhere in the middle is where you are optimal, but closer to the hard work guy, in my I, opinion. I actually thought you were going to pick the consistency one. I don't know. I, I Maybe I have a misconception because of natural guys are, they're more consistent and it takes time and they have the patience of the, you know, the longevity of being natural. But I just, for some reason, I thought you were going to pick the consistent guy who's there every day and does his thing. And I'm, I'm shocked to hear you say the hard work guy is the one, even though it's not consistent, but I agree with you. Yeah. And it kind of leads to my next question, which is, you know, there's a very common theme out there now that you don't have to train to failure. And I don't necessarily disagree. I mean, I, I personally do because I trained to failure, but I don't disagree with the science, but um, where is the line, I guess, is what I want to ask. Like, you know, I get a lot of questions about like, okay, how do I set up my sets? You know, my first set's my warm-up set, then I have a fee couple feeder sets, and then I have a working set and I have a failure set. But what is a working set if it's not a failure set? You right. see what I mean? Like there's, so there's a lot of like terminology and bodybuilding jargon out there and nobody knows the actual definition and what set is the set where I'm actually building muscle. Totally. Totally. Um, yeah. It's interesting that you say, I thought you thought I was going to pick the other one because I feel like, um, maybe you've dealt with this too, but like people who commentate on what you say tend to not get it right. So I feel like I've been misrepresented to some extent on this question. Mm -hmm. Like, I think a lot of people have pegged me or pigeonholed me into being this like really low effort guy. Like, you know, no, that's and, and, not what I thought. At no, all, no, no. Fair I, enough. Yeah, I'm not, I'm yeah. not accusing you of that yeah, either, but yeah. I, but some people have like, right. Yeah. Like I, that, that does exist. And so, or they just lump my opinion in with what might be mains, the mainstream thought in the natural bodybuilding community, even though I don't actually agree with that. Yeah. Um, and historically I've always been this isn't a new thing. I've always been very uh, effort first, if you will. Like, I feel like that is the thing other than technique. I think yeah. effort is kind of the very next thing, because okay. if you're just going hard, but you're not doing the exercises yeah. right, it cancels out. Yeah. Um, but assuming, you know, good form, at least reasonably good form, then that's the next important thing. And I've always said that um, where people get hung up is exactly on this next question, which is where... I used to value failure training more than I do now. So that is actually something that I've changed my opinion on. Mm -hmm. um, if you go back, I did an interview with Dr. Mike Isretel. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he's a really yeah. prominent hypertrophy uh, communicator, like science communicator. Sure. Um, and uh, you know, he has PhD and all the credentials and everything. And um, we did an interview and I really pushed him on this point because I really like... I've, I, like I said, I've softened my stance on this, but I, I at the time was m much more like you, like, yeah. it, 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 you know, what's the harm in at least say that your last set of an exercise mm -hmm. in just going all the way there. Now, if it's a squat or a deadlift, I get it from like a safety standpoint yeah. and like a recovery standpoint. Okay. That's different. But if we're talking about leg extensions or lateral raises or something like that, like why not? Like just, yeah. you know, right. So that was kind yeah. of the way that I, I, I tended to think and 
if I'm being honest, I, I, I do still think in that context, going to failure is smart, but I'm, I'm not as convinced that it has a very strong benefit. Um, and that's just because of the studies that have come out uh, showing that the difference between what I would call an RPE eight. So that basically means like you, if you had a gun to your head, you could have done two more reps. So you yeah. could also call that two reps in reserve. So yeah. like a two RIR would be the same as an RPE of eight. What is, sorry, I know I knew RIR. What does RPE stand for? Yeah. So RPE stands for rating of perceived exertion. So it's basically your rating of what you perceive your exertion or your effort to be on a scale of one to 10. So if you rank, so like, it would basically be like, if I asked you how, how hard was that set on a scale of one to 10, if you went to failure, it's a 10, you couldn't have made it harder. Right. I mean, you could have done a drop set, but that still is like technically RPE 10 and beyond or whatever. So so basically if somebody says do an RPE eight, it just means 80% of your max, it it would be 80% of failure. It would be 80% of failure on a set of 10, um, sure. right? So it would yeah. be just two reps in the tank. So if it was a set of 15, let's say, I, let's say I'm doing dumbbell flies, right? And I could do 15 reps. Like if I went all out, I could do 15, but I just was like, I'm going to stop at 13. Yeah. That would be an RPE eight. Okay. 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 Now the research that we have is honestly pretty convincing to me that the difference between RP eight and 10, mm-hmm. if it exists, it's very small. And it isn't actually clear because there's conflicting evidence on whether the RPE 10 is better or the RPE 8 is better. So some research actually finds better hypertrophy by leaving a couple of reps in the tank. Yeah. And and, and others find it better by being RPE 10. Now there's a big caveat to all this, which is that these, the subjects in this study are not you. Like they are definitely yeah, not yeah. Fuad Aviad, right? Uh, yeah. They're not even Jeff Nippert. Like they yeah. tend to be college students who sure. volunteered for the study. So we do need to keep that in mind. However, if it was that failure is the be all end all, I think we would still see a bigger gap. And we mm. certainly wouldn't see any studies where you have the say RPE eight set doing better. Now, what we do know is that there is a threshold that needs to, this is again, based on the science. So it's before, like, we, before, yeah, sorry, I, I, I don't mean, yeah. to, well, I do mean to interrupt. <laughs> no, it's all good. I yeah. want to slow, I want to slow you down a little bit. I just, because I, I need to ask this question. Why would, why would training less intensely or with less effort, I guess, how would that net more hypertrophy? That's a great question. Um, I think the honest answer is we don't know to be like perfectly honest, but we can speculate, right? So someone like Mike Isratel would say that by going, so, well, I would draw a graph, but people on audio wouldn't see it. But if we go all the way to failure, the argument is, I'm actually not fully convinced on this, by the way, but this is the way that argument would go. If we go all the way to failure, we create a lot of fatigue that's hard to recover from. And so fatigue actually works counter to muscle adaptation. So like if you create too much fatigue, that will impair your recovery and recovery is essential to then being able to perform better next time. So the logic kind of goes like, well, the people who make this argument tend to endorse more of a, let's say upper lower split or a push pull leg split, like something that has you in the gym more than a couple times a week, more frequency, right? So if you go all the way to failure and you're not recovered by the next time you hit your body part, then you're not going to be able to push it as hard that time. And then it becomes this thing where fatigue is accumulating. And so you're not able to actually get your maximum adaptation. You'll still get some adaptation, but the fatigue kind of like overwhelms that to some extent. Right. Okay. Okay. 
I don't find that altogether convincing. I'm, I'm not going to lie. Like, I don't yeah. necessarily agree with that, but I think it stands for certain exercises for sure. Like mm. going to failure on a set of squats is excruciating. Like a set of 10 on squats to true, true failure. Like yeah. you cannot get up is very hard. I've done it recently. And like, I was sore for five, six days, like yeah. very, very hard. Right. So if I'm on my push pull leg split, I'm not going to be recovered to hit legs again in three days. And so that would, you know, possibly interfere with that adaptation over say an eight week study or something like that. But okay. If, if you're on a bro split. Yep. Or I, as I like to call it a pro split. Yeah. Or you do, or you do one body part a day or two yeah, body yeah. parts a day. Yeah. Um, that uh, you're going to recover in time. So failure would yeah. then be okay. It, w- it would be. And I, and I, I think so. I think that yeah. it would be more appropriate for someone doing that type of split, which by the way, you might be pleased to know um, the latest research has shown essentially no difference in uh, between once a week, twice a week, three times a week. I was actually uh, going to get into that later with yeah. you because I, I, okay. I know I, we can cover it as we go on, but, um, but yeah, so, so you're saying as long as recovery is there, failure is still okay. But the main reason they're saying the RPE eight would be better. is just that you want to be recovered for the next. It's not that it's not that the set is actually better. You're saying it's just better in terms of you want to be recovered for your next training session. Yeah. So, I mean, okay. in, even in the scientific community, there are, there's disagreement about this, to be honest, like this is, this, this is, a, I'm glad we're talking about this because yeah. this is the a topic that I don't think anyone has the answer to yet. I, yeah. I really don't. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's hot right now. Like people are talking about it and there would be people who would agree more with you because there's a scientific rationale for going to failure. And that's that you activate the biggest, largest threshold motor units, which means like those are the ones that are the most susceptible to hypertrophy. And if you don't go all the way to failure, then you might not be activating some of those motor units. Right. And and that was what I used to believe, to be honest, I trained to failure for years and years and years. Um, and it's just that now the best, like that is what we would call mechanistic evidence. Like it, it's mm-hmm. like a theory, right? Whereas, um, or a hypothesis, um, whereas now we have really much more high quality controlled trials where they'll actually take, you know, 20 or 30 people and follow them for eight weeks and just measure who yeah. actually gained more or less muscle. And that's higher quality. I think that yeah. does tell us, tell us more. And so my stance is that for a, population that's being studied, I don't think failure is the be all end all on a muscular scale, but I could go on for a very long time about the benefits that failure confers from a like almost just like an athlete's mindset yeah. perspective too. And, yeah. and, and the, the biggest issue with the approach that I endorse, which honestly it, that I follow and, and would tell people to use, mm-hmm. which is a more moderate approach, um, like RPE eight to nine for most stuff, mm-hmm. the issue with that, and I have seen this over the last few years, which is why I need to continuously update this is that if people say they're at a seven or an eight, they very well might be at like a two or a three. And there's actually research that shows this, like, yeah people tend to under like overestimate how hard they're like, trust me, bro. That was an RP eight. And it's like, really? Like it did, you didn't grind at all. And like, I've been called out for this rightly as well. And, and it is, it is hard to estimate. Um, but the way I get over that argument is, uh, like, it's like any skill you just have to develop it and how you develop it is getting to know what true failure feels like. Yes. 
and then just scale back from there. So like yeah. it, you, you don't start as a beginner doing necessarily, although as a beginner, it almost doesn't matter because you'll grow no matter what. That's but okay. yeah, at the same time, their RPE ratings won't be as accurate. And so at some point relatively early in your career, training career, I think it is important to get very well acquainted with that because mm -hmm. then you'll know, you'll know what it means to actually go all out. And for advanced athletes like, like you and even me, like I take most from most of the time, I'll take my last set of isolation exercises to failure. I will. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, that's why I love training with John. Like it's, it's failure, you know, yeah, like you're, yeah. well, you're really going there. So, um, I, yeah, go ahead. I think, um, I think the majority of people, if you tell them to train to failure, they're at an RP eight. Yeah, I agree. There's always, agree. I've never, I shouldn't say never. I very rarely see people train to true failure. And that includes myself. Sometimes I'll be like, oh, I was done. But then when I think back about my, my, my workout, I'm like, I probably could have done one more or two more on that set or whatever. So like, I think most people, and that's why I was thinking that when you said it, if you tell them RPE, they're going to stop at RPE, RPE five. Yep. So there's that. And then the second thing I was thinking about was that study that you said they did was on normal people, right? So I'm like, or just the average person that's not an athlete. I'm thinking to myself, if the average, if I took the a person that doesn't work out, I took them to the gym right now and put them through a failure set on any type of leg exercise, they're going to be sore for a week and a half. <laughs> so that person, because like you said, the person they're studying matters so much because I would never put a non-trained person through failure sets because they're going to be destroyed for 10 days, right? So that's why in that scenario, yeah, an RPE eight would make sense because they're going to survive to train, you know, four or five days from now or three, four days from now. So I think that it's interesting to me that none of these, no, I shouldn't say none, but a lot of these studies are never done on hard training athletes so that we can get a real answer for us. But I think we're such a small part of the population that it's not necessarily important. Yeah, it, it, there becomes an issue of like with some of these studies too with funding. It's like, why would a university want to fund a study that's going to apply to, you know, a yeah. niche audience essentially? Yeah, exactly. um, but it, just to clarify on that, there, there are both. So they, there are failure studies on untrained individuals. Mm -hmm. um, those actually tend to find conflicting results too, but not a big difference in either direction. I've heard some people argue that actually, if anyone's going to benefit from failure training, beginners actually, it seems counterintuitive, but they do really? seem, and, and that, and, and the reason for that is as a beginner, um, you can, uh, uh, it, you can't activate the higher threshold units that I talked about as easily. And so like, it kind of takes, because your, your coordination is all bad and everything like yeah, that. So yeah. it's like, it kind of takes you to really go there in order to get that sufficient, uh, stimulus, whereas yeah. more well-trained, uh, can get high recruitment a little earlier on because they tend to train more explosively, like with more exertion into every rep. Whereas like a beginner, it's like, they don't even know what they're doing yet. So it's yeah, like, you almost yeah. have to take them to feel. So it, it's very tangly, which is like, I'm sure the listener might be like, what the hell am I supposed to even yeah, think yeah. of this? Right. But I, I, like, you know, I, we'll try to summarize it toward the end of our discussion here, but well, there are, so there are those, there are those studies on untrained people, but there are also studies on trained people, but mm -hmm. they are, still aren't you, right? Like yeah. they, they might have three or four years of experience and they'll have lifts, but the lifts are not going to blow you away. Sure. Like they'll have max lifts, but it might be like a 225 squat or something like yeah. that. Right. It's yeah. nothing crazy. Yeah. So they are, but then again, the, the argument I would make is that like, the, the, that is more representative of a training population overall. And, and then the other argument I could make is that if we were going to see a big effect, 
we should see a big effect in these people, right? Because they yeah. aren't near their natty limits. So like if there was this huge effect that training to failure had, then we should be able to observe it in these people. Yeah. Now you might say, yes, but when you get advanced, you, and this is what like someone like John would say too, right? Like as you get more advanced, if you want to push the envelope, what are you going to, you, you, can you really do that by like stopping yeah. shy of what you're capable of? That's right. I don't know. I, well, I, I don't know. I'll throw, I'll throw a wrench in it even worse. Mm -hmm. So the, the, the two biggest examples I think of when I think of this debate or this topic is Jay Cutler, who seemingly never trained to failure. Uh, and then I think of Dorian Yates, who trained to failure every workout on every, not every set, but all his working sets. So then you have two guys who are both massive, both have great physiques, both have a ton of muscle, who train completely differently. And one with super high volume, one with super low volume, one to failure, one not to failure. What's the guy watching supposed to say? Like, okay. So, I mean, at the end of the day, like my, I don't know what your summary be, would be. My summary would be going back to the consistency versus hard work thing. It's almost like you have to, to me, I feel like you have to find what you like. Because if you don't like it, like if you said to me right now, hey, Fuad, I think you should do low volume Dorian Nate style training. I wouldn't enjoy my time in the gym. Like I, I like doing more volume. I don't necessarily train to failure on every set. Um, so my thought process would be, you have to kind of do what you like or else you're not going to do it every day. I, I think that, I think that that's true, but I also think there is a trade-off and you hit the nail on the head there uh, between volume and intensity. So what, what you generally, so you'll hear of people like Jay who, is slightly lower. Jay still trained hard as hell. Oh, of course. Like yeah, he, he yeah. trained super hard, but not always to failure. He was more of like a mind muscle connection guy for the most part, from what I could tell. Yeah. Um, but he did very high volume. Like his workouts were crazy. Yeah, like five to, sets, 20, 25 yeah, to 30 sets. Each exercise yeah. is nuts. Yeah. Like his back day. I actually watched this recently because I did a video about this. And I, so I watched a bunch of Jay's training footage and um, his back day, I was like, okay, pull downs. All right, machine row. All right, different grip pull down. All right, different yeah. grip row. Okay, yeah. pullovers. Back to more like a stretch yeah. thing here. And then it's like, it would never end. I was like, this is yeah. insanity. Yeah. Um, so if you're going to go the lower intensity route or what I would just call like a, I don't think low intensity works at all. Uh, yeah. But if you're going to go more moderate, high intensity, then you have to compensate, I think, by doing more volume. Right. Sure. Uh, whereas if you're going to go the very high intensity Dorian Yates style, you have to compensate by doing lower volume yeah, because definitely. otherwise you won't be able to recover. Right. Sure. And, and you'll very rarely see people who do both. Like sure. show me someone who does Dorian Yates style intensity with Jay Cutler style, style volume. And I'll yeah. show you someone in the hospital. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ronnie Coleman. Ronnie, there you go. Ronnie, yeah, Ronnie pretty Coleman. much. That's and and even that's... in Ronnie's case, actually, this is interesting because I looked at Ronnie's training and even he, I wouldn't say took, all sets to failure, but no. when he, when he went there, he went there, like he yeah. went there. And I think an issue with him too, was that I think he went there on some more risky exercises. Like Definitely. he was going there on front squats and deadlifts yeah. and like these exercises that like even power lifters who are required to do these lifts yeah. are not going that hard. So yeah. that was another factor that, that came in there, but yeah. yeah. So what do we, so I, I kind of gave my summary. What do you, is that your summary to the person watching? Like you're going to pick one or the other 
And that's just like, and that's actually pretty much what I would say. Honestly, yeah, I, I yeah. think that, I think that if you're the type of person who say, you know, and, and you have to self-experiment, right? Because yeah. some people legitimately, and, and we see this in the studies too, by the way, this is another big thing sure. is that like, I say, okay, this study found this. No, the study found that on average, meaning there are some people who found the really high volume or whatever condition to be worse for them. And some people who found it to be way better, but we'll meet in the middle to see what the average was. And that's the result that is generally reported. It's a little different for different studies, but that's mm -hmm. usually what's happening in these studies, right? Mm -hmm. So you have, to, you have to be, in my opinion, like your own scientist, go in the gym, get some experience, try out different things and see what you respond best to, not just on a, what makes me grow the biggest muscles, but also like what is going to allow me to stick to this at the appropriate intensity for the longest period of time, which is what you said. Mm -hmm. And so do both like experiment with a lower volume, higher intensity approach and see how you respond to that. Try a lower, moderate intensity, uh, higher volume approach and see how you respond to that. But I wouldn't recommend blending the two of those. So I'm going to be the guy watching right now, asking the question, how long do I experiment for? Cause that's also a question I get a lot from people like, okay, I'll try this out. How long do I try it out for two weeks, four weeks, eight weeks? What, what does somebody need to do to, to, before they know like, okay, I like this or this works for me. I, th I think you need at least a good month, honestly. Okay. Okay. Um, and, and it doesn't need, it doesn't necessarily like, you'll know after a month if you are liking it and mm -hmm. if you're seeing significant progression for the most part. Um, so if you're going to try something that's very different from what you're currently doing, uh, I think that would be the minimum, like four to eight yeah. weeks. Yeah. yeah. I would, I would suggest longer, uh, hmm. and not, not to go against you at all. I just feel like I've done things for four weeks before. And I don't know if I, I get a full grasp of like what it does. I feel, I, I think a lot of people just are, they have like what we would call shiny object syndrome, which is basically like, Ooh, this is a new thing. I'm going to try this. And like, so in, in the real world, like are people yeah. actually going to stick to something for like, of course, the longer, the better, honestly, yeah, but like yeah, yeah. also not the longer, the better, if it's not serving you, like, right. I, so here's an example, right? I did a program that was like this endurance work capacity style program. It was like four sets of 20 squats, like everything was sets of 20 yeah, and it yeah. was horrible but i did do it for a month and i will never i was like i would rather just not lift to be honest yeah. with you than do this it was just yeah. it, it wasn't worth it it's like if yeah. i get a even if i got like 20 percent better gains i'd be like ah, screw it i hate this like this yeah. is not enjoyable for me right so in that case no i feel like i shouldn't stick to it for longer than i did right but yeah. uh you know if it's something that you're liking then yeah you're right longer would yeah. give you a better idea of kind of how you're responding to it this it also depends it also depends on like nat natty or enhanced to some extent right yeah. because as a natural you just don't see progress that fast at all which is why i put so much emphasis on strength because then that actually gives you something tangible that you can actually measure yeah exactly yeah yeah it's just uh one of the, it's interesting that this conversation is going this way because it's kind of something i learned from lane because I've, I've had lane on my podcast a couple times and one of the things it's almost like i feel like lane has changed lane norton's changed from early lane to now because he seems very um do what works for you kind of in a way in some degrees and i almost feel like that's kind of the way this conversation is going because one of like one of the things I think is most important, and this may sound very simplistic, but I think you like you said you have to have fun. Yeah, like you have to have fun. Like I I go in the gym and it, I look like hell. Like when people watch my videos, I'm sweating, I'm gross, I'm like I look like I'm in complete pain and anguish, but it's fun. Like that to me, that's fun. And I think like you said, if somebody said, "Hey, go do this 
you know, super high volume training and, it, and you felt miserable about it every day, there's just no point. So yeah, yeah go ahead. Yeah, I, I, com I completely agree. I actually made a video like several years back uh, that was defending uh, bro splits. And, and I think I, I think people misunderstood it because people tend to look at things very black and white. So like if I make a video defending bro splits, people are like, oh, Jeff loves bro. Like he wants everybody to do bro splits now. And it's like, nah, it's just an option. Like it's a legitimate option, you know? Um, and, and that was one of the ways that I defended it. It's like, if you're someone who legitimately just loves that style of training and you're going to stick to that and give it your best effort, yeah. like I think it would be senseless for me to be like, no, you need to, you need to switch to a full body split or like you need to do push pull yeah. legs. Right. I actually do think it would be worth trying out, but if you give it an honest crack and you don't like it, or you don't respond any better to it and you found you responded better to the bro split, then like, yeah. of course that makes more sense for you. Yeah. Right. Like it's it in, I think people also, and I, you know, I've, I've been guilty of this, like we will put too much stock in a scientific study when you need to realize that like, again, these are, these findings are generally reporting average trends and we are one individual. So like, yeah. that is a good starting place to say, okay, this is what on average, this is most likely to work for you. And then sure. you need to kind of tweak that to your individual preferences, what you enjoy, what you'll yeah. stick to, what you have access to, what, you know, if you're injured, you can't do this or that and like d develop it from there or just hire a coach who knows what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Can I, I want to ask you, I want to get into training splits, but before we do that, I want to ask you a, a question that always kind of boggles my mind. So the bro split became a, a kind of a, a negative term. It was almost like a term to demean guys who train one body part a day kind of thing. Right. And I, I took it personally at first. I'm like, Hey, like 99% of pro bodybuilders train with this split. So we're going to call it the pro split. Mm -hmm. And the confusing thing to me about some of these studies and some of the science is it goes against things that 99% of professional bodybuilders are doing. So I just can't, I, I don't understand this phenomenon of people that are like, well, I don't care how those 5,000 people got huge and are the biggest people on earth. This study over here says it doesn't work. How does that, how does that make sense? Right. I, I think, a part of it is like people tend to just dig their heels in with their like beliefs in anything, mm -hmm. honestly, and don't truly keep an open mind. Um, and so you do have the IFBB pros, I think, who are a, maybe a little too quick to write off the science. And like, maybe there is some ego getting in the way there. Like, look how big we are. Like, and look how small you are. Like, this <laughs> is, what are you talking about? <laughs> listen, listen to me. I'm here. Right. Not, and, yeah. and, and that happens. So that's, yeah, that's, that's totally the, happens. <laughs> yeah. That, that's, the, that's the, the fault of the IFBB guys. But then, yeah. uh, you know, the other side of that coin, like a lot of the science guys are like, you idiot imbecile yeah. guy like yeah. you do you even have you even read this study yeah. or whatever and it's like um so I, but i think that they both are overconfident honestly like in yeah. their methods um in both sides and it all it honestly does kind of depend on the specific issue like it depends on exactly what we're talking about because yeah. i think there's honestly th th this is this is one thing where it kind of comes full circle is i think there's way more overlap than people on oh, the no. extremes of both sides tend to acknowledge mm -hmm. what happens with ifbb pros is sometimes they'll do something and they'll have done it for so long and it'll be yeah. such an integral part of their training that they don't want to let go of it so like yeah. partial range of motion say is one thing right yeah. it's like we've always done this it's always been effective and 
and you know, it's, it's, it's everything like this is what it's done. And it's like, well, maybe it's not necessarily a bad, like it obviously isn't so bad that it's impeded your results. Like nobody yeah. could deny that, but maybe that isn't the fact that isn't the thing that's driving your progress. It's the fact that you've got a shit ton of tension on the muscle. Like, so yeah. it, it's yeah. like, you know, there's another yeah. thing that you're missing yeah. here. Right. Yeah. And then, you know, some of the science nerds or whatever might take one range of motion study and be like, look at this full range of motion was better. You yeah. idiot. What are you yeah. doing? And it's yeah. like, no, that's literally like one. And like, if you look at the partial range group, they still saw hypertrophy. There was just, yeah. wasn't quite as good. So it's like, right. people tend to think of this as very black and white. It's like, okay, there used to be like pretty much scientific consensus that like one times a week training and a bro split was worse than two, at least two times a week training or whatever. Mm -hmm. So therefore one times a week can't work. It's like, yeah, but, but, no, but wait like, a minute. Okay, but let me stop you. How could you, yeah. how could anybody say that? I know, no. Yeah. And then, right? And then look at like the entire IFBB and be like, I, wait a minute. Right? I agree. I would never say, I, I have never said that because it doesn't make sense. Like it obvious, like I, I trained on a bro split for like the first five years of my training career. So like okay. I built most of my muscle in the first five years of my training career. Yeah, so yeah. I built most of us off a bro split. So it's yeah. like, it would be totally contradictory of me to say that it doesn't work. Now, do I think it's most, like, I will be, you know, fully honest. Like for me, I don't think it's the most optimal way for me to train. I don't, I don't think sure. it is. If from a strength perspective, no, from a muscle perspective, I don't, I don't, I don't think so. I don't think it's, but it's like, it might be 85% just look just so you, you know, know I mean? just yeah. so you know I'm not married to it either I'm yeah yeah fair enough yeah I, I can tell I can tell yeah my mind go my my thought about it goes back to just what I enjoy yeah because I've tried I've tried doing the like three or three body parts in a in a session or whatever and I just mm -hmm. don't feel like I can spend enough time on the muscle I want to spend time on right because I train a little bit more like Jay I guess mm -hmm. so for me, it's just a preference thing. It's not a matter of like, oh, I'm married to it. And it's for sure the thing that works and all that. The other thing I notice is when it comes to science guys critiquing the IFB, IFBV guys or the public, you know, what they believe, they always go, well, you're taking a whole bunch of drugs and you have superior genetics to, to the rest of the world. So your opinion doesn't mean anything. You would have grown no matter what you did. And I'm like, I'm like, is that, is that true? I mean, does that mean I could have like done anything and still been this big? I mean, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't, know. I don't think so, but I think there is like, like I said, the, the, the truth is probably not to be that like political, like, oh, the truth is always in the center, but like, I know I, I, but like, I do legitimately feel like there is some truth to it that like yeah. the IFBB selects for the genetically elite. And so like, yes, you probably would have gotten really good results running a suboptimal program, honestly. Yeah. But like yeah. that just speaks to genetic differences. Sure. It's actually quite similar to Instagram. Like people will look or YouTube. It's like these social media platforms select for genetically elite people. So what they're doing might not necessarily work for you, but like, what I do just mean, do. What do you mean by that? So like people who get big on these platforms tend to have really good physiques, right? Okay. Like they, they tend to have really good genetics right? Because genetics is such a big part of it. Yeah. So like, that's, that's one of the things that it's like, if people just copy what someone is doing on Instagram, like, and you know, they might have the expectation that they're going to look like this person or whatever, but it's like, you need to understand that like the people who rise to the top of the Instagram probably are the 1% of genetically elite people. So you think, you, so you think the social platforms are promoting like behind the scenes promote or pushing 
the, the people with better physiques or the better looking people or whatever term you want to use? Yeah, I don't think it's intentional, but I think just people want to follow people who look better and who are more attractive. Or so you're, wait, so, <laughs> okay, wait a minute. So you're saying yeah. to me, so you're saying to me, <laughs> okay, so you're saying off-season Fuad doesn't do as well on Instagram as shredded Fuad. I so bet you that's true. <laughs> yeah, but is that, okay, but, wait, but <laughs> okay, it is actually, that is 100% true, but is that because of of the platform pushing me or is that just because people are more interested because you look better? It's, it's both, but it's, it's driven by the fact that you will get more engagement. You will get more likes, more comments when you look shredded because people just find it looks better. Like they think it's more motivating or whatever. I know, but what I'm and, asking is, and then the algorithm pushes it because it has more likes and comments. And okay, so you so, tend to get more follows. Yeah. Okay. That makes more sense. So, mm -hmm. so you're not saying like, there's a guy at Instagram looking going, well, if we had shredded, let's push this a little harder. <laughs> I mean, there could, there very well could be, but no, that is not what I'm saying. Okay. Okay. I just want to make sure. There's this judge from Spain who's yeah. just looking like I just that conditioning could be better. Let's filter that one down. Well, just the way you set it up, like I want to sure. be 100% clear. I'm like, is YouTube have like a guy who watches all the pages to make sure uh, like uh, who's who's in shape and who's not? Uh, um, anyway, okay. So going back to what we were saying. Um, yeah. Okay, so we talked about training splits. We talked about. Um, I did want to get into cardio real quick. Mm -hmm. I feel like, I feel like there's a million myths behind cardio. I just wanted to go through like really quickly. And I, I don't want to keep you too long. Cause I think we've already been on for an hour or so, but I, I want to go through quickly your top five cardio rules. Like what are, what are your five most important things that you can think of? And then I'll add in a couple that I, if you, if you don't mention them, I'll add in some that I think are important. Sure. I, I literally just did a video on this. So this is really fresh in my mind. Um, so are we talking about cardio? Cause there's a distinction here. Are we talking about cardio for health or for fat loss? Because they, there's overlap, but there's the recommendations are slightly different. Let's, let's target fat loss. Fat loss. Okay. Yeah. So for fat loss, well, let me say up front, I think cardio is a good idea for general health. Like there's a lot of research showing that people who have better cardiovascular fitness tend to live longer, tend to have like better, um, less incidence of like cardiovascular disease and stuff like that. Um, so doing some cardio is a good idea for your health, whether or not resistance training is a, like resistance training is also really good for your health and it's good for your heart. Right. So there's some over, there's a bit of overlap there. Like you do get a, uh, let's say cardiovascular stimulus from weight training, yeah. but I'm not convinced it's the same. Like if you do an HIIT protocol on a bike, like you're going to be sweating way more than mm. most people would with a typical, like moderate volume weight training session. So sure. I do still think even if you, you know, even if you bench press a couple of times a week, like it, still doing cardio is probably a good idea for your health. Yeah. That does in part depend on your job. If you are a farmer who's like burning, you know, three, 4,000 calories a day through your work, then no, I don't think you need to go to the gym and hop on the treadmill. Like that might not yeah. do much extra for you, but if you're someone like me who works at a desk job, then, um, even though you lift weights, I think you should try to do cardio at least a few times a week, just for health purposes, honestly. Okay. Um, okay. So that's that, uh, when it comes to fat loss, so this is not health. I don't think cardio is required at all. I've seen people get stage ready, natural bodybuilders who did not do cardio through the prep. Um, okay. so in that sense, uh, it's not required still. I think it's for the most part, 
a good idea for most because it will allow you to keep your calories slightly higher. And in some cases, it's almost unavoidable, especially with women, because unless you want to drop them down, like, you know, a thousand calories a day or something like that, like they're going to have to burn more calories through uh, expenditure, like through cardio, basically. Sure, sure. So it, it almost becomes an inevitability in most cases, but it's not required. Uh, when you do do it, the goal is to minimize muscle loss. Like that should be the primary um, thing that you're after because you have to remember you're a bodybuilder trying to get lean. You're not an endurance athlete. So like right. cardio should never take precedence over weight training or anything else that's going to prioritize the muscle building process. Otherwise you're going to look strung out. You're going to lose muscle and it's just not going to be the, the best look that you, uh, that you could achieve. So that's my main priority when it comes to avoiding muscle loss. There are several things you can do. Um, if you do cardio too much, like just total volume what, of cardio. What, what is too what is too much? Just so we can get some numbers. So it will be individual and it also, so let me actually finish. So, you know, two hours a day, every day would be too much, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, no matter how you slice it, right? Yeah. But um, it also depends on the intensity. So like if you're doing low intensity, then you can do it more. Sure. Right. If you're doing high intensity, you can't get away with it as much. Um, and so that's why I actually do tend to prefer low to moderate intensity cardio, uh, because it does tend to interfere less with weight training, which is the most important thing. Um, so there's volume, there's intensity, and then there's mode, which is basically what type of cardio you do. And so for mode, you want to try to prioritize the lower impact stuff. So like not running outside on pavement or whatever, like walking, I think is good. Uh, incline treadmill stairmaster is pretty good, but some people do find their like knees and lower back from that. So you might want to be more careful. Bike is generally very good elliptical. I'm a big fan of, um, if you can like swim or something like that, that's probably the best, but not many yeah. people can go to the pool all the time. So, yeah. um, that, that's, I think that would be like my kind of general rules. And then from there, it would just be a matter of fine tuning it to the person. So like, you know, it, it, this ultimately becomes a balancing act with where their calories are. Right. So like if there are someone who can maintain on quite high calories and they're training very hard uh, with weights, then like, I might only give them like one or two cardio sessions a week, yeah. something like that, like list for 20 minutes just yeah. for health and just to keep the calories a little bit higher. Uh, like I said, if it's like a female who is already on fairly low calories, I might go up to, you know, I've, I've gone as high as five days a week, uh, 45 minutes to an hour a day uh, towards like, you know, the end of a prep or something like that. And in, in some cases you might need to go higher. Like yeah. people hate hearing these numbers because they're like, oh, that's so much. It's so, and it's like, well, they are the ones who chose, like they're the ones who chose to get on stage and there's informed consent. Like I'm telling them yeah. that this is what it's going to take if you want to keep pushing it further. And mm -hmm. so there's a given and take there, you know yeah. what I mean? So anyway, yeah, th those are my general thoughts. So I, um, so I do about 45 minutes to an hour. Well, usually 40 to 50 minutes, six days a week. Nice. And this is just off season, like mm -hmm. walking, walking on a treadmill. <clears throat> are you, are you of the mind that more cardio and more food is better for physique ultimately than it is for less cardio, less food. Cause there's two types of people that diet, right? There's a kind that are like, well, I don't really want to do cardio. So I'm going to eat 1800 calories a day and get shredded. And then there's the other kind that are like, well, I want to eat 2,800 calories a day and I'm going to do cardio twice a day. 
I'm generally a fan of having more food. Um, I feel like the, the higher you can keep the calories, the better you tend to see like less metabolic adaptation from that. So in, in that scenario, I would probably go higher on the cardio, but there'll just be a point where you just have to slash calories because I don't want them again, interfering with their weight training. So it becomes this balancing act of like, you don't want calories too low. You don't want uh, weight training performance to be inhibited too much, but like yeah. at a certain point, something's got to give. Right. Okay, and, so and so at that point I would probably do more cardio to be honest. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So that's, that's kind of what I, that's one of my rules is I feel like more cardio, more calories is always a better option. As long as it's obviously there's a limit to more cardio, yeah. but. And, um, and you would be on the high end, but in, interestingly, like where you're in your off season, that's actually interesting to me because you're not at a risk of muscle loss because presumably you're in a, at least at maintenance or in a caloric surplus. So like yeah. you can do more cardio and if yeah. it's low intensity, I'm assuming it's fairly low intensity, yeah, right? You're not like, doing like hit. No, I'm just walking on the treadmill. Right. So in that case, like that's probably not going to mess up your weight training performance. Right. Uh, so, you know, it makes perfect sense to do that. And if anything, it's probably a good idea. And I've been doing more cardio now too, like in my yeah. off season, um, because it, it's, it's really good for work capacity. Like if, yeah. if you get under the, like a squad and you do a set of eight or three sets of eight, uh, and you, and your cardio is bad, you're going to just be so fatigued. You can't yeah. finish the rest of your workout. Whereas if your cardio is good, you'll be able to get that work done a lot more efficiently. Yeah. So I think that's, that's perfectly, you know, that's perfectly fine. And it's totally individual. You know, some people like doing cardio. Like some people are like, bring it on. I'd rather have more yeah. food. And then it's yeah. like, okay, well that's, that's perfectly acceptable. You know? So another question, cardio, and I already kind of have I just, I say this a lot. So I just want to get these answers out there to people. Cardio before or after training? This one, I have a let's, decently let's, strong let's, opinion on. <laughs> well, so do I. So okay. let's say, let's say they're at the same time. You can only go to the gym yeah. once a day. I, I, I do say after. Yes. Okay. Good. Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. No, I, well, come on. <laughs> I, I almost didn't get that second invite. Like. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just, cause I've seen people do cardio before and, yeah. uh, they think it burns more fat or I can't remember the different reasons why they do it. And I'm like, you're totally hindering your training. It makes absolutely no sense. Do the training first. So you can get the best, best out of your training session. Okay. Uh, now your cardio split off from your training. Does it matter if I do it fasted or does it matter if I do it after my first meal? Does it matter if I do it late at night in my training in the morning? Does any of that matter? Good question. Um, I tend to be more of a like minimalist on this question and where I'm not dealing for the most part with like very high level elite physique athletes. I tend to say, do it when it's most convenient, like when you can actually stick to it and get the calories burned. And that's the most important thing. Mm -hmm. um, other than don't do it before training because then your training will be impeded. So that's kind of my main rule. And then do it when it's convenient for you okay. or when you feel like you have the best energy and can actually, you know, be present for it and like, give it some modicum of effort because I've seen some clients like do cardio and it's like, it's on one on the treadmill. Like it is not, it is barely moving. Uh, and I'm like, okay, this is nothing. You're just wasting your time. Like I'm only you know. on, I'm only at like 2.8 miles per hour. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, but I, I do, but you're doing it five days a week. So, six. you know, and I do, six, have, six, six, and I do have a 2% incline. So right. I'm like, <laughs> a little bit of an incline to, make a little See, to me, I don't know. That's fine. I, I feel like some people need like a little bit of like a kick in the ass to like well, get moving a little bit. Right. Like, let, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. So 
let's let's go back to the i have another question but i want to go back to the timing <laughs> thing just for a second uh let's say it's not about let's say you have all day you don't have a job you don't have anything to do mm-hmm. when's the best time to do my cardio I still think it's whenever is most convenient for you, to be honest. Um, I, I'm open to fasted cardio having slight potential benefits for fat loss in a advanced competitive population. There was actually a brand new study that just came out on this. And it's like the first time I've seen it in the science where it's like, mm. they actually do put forward what I would call in a hypothesis that like, there is no research on competitive physique athletes and fasted cardio. That's a fact. There's nothing. So like, Everything that you're, that I could say, or anyone could say about fasted cardio, not being effective for extra fat loss is talking about a general population of trained people, not elite level competitors. And so I do know some good, uh, like shout out to Chris Barricat. He, he was an author on that paper and he's a very effective natural bodybuilding coach. And I do think with some of his clients who have like stubborn fat, that mm-hmm. he will use a fasted cardio protocol. I actually think he calls it a protein enhanced cardio protocol. So he'll give them like EAAs or a, like 30 to 40 grams of like whey isolate or something yeah. like that before yeah. doing cardio, yeah. um, just to prevent muscle loss. Because then that's the other side of that is like, if you're getting to very low levels of leanness, like you are, you just are at an increased risk of muscle loss. And so again, this balancing act, it's like, is, is fasted cardio more catabolic? I actually don't, I, I think as long as total daily protein intake is sufficient, I actually don't think it is to be honest yeah, with you, yeah. but I'm not convinced personally that the benefit is enough for me to like recommend it broadly yeah. as like, you should do fasted cardio because a lot of people are like, Oh, fast cardio. That's the key. And it's no. like, no, it's, it, it, if, if it's, if it has a benefit, it would be at the later stages of fat loss for people who are looking to lose stubborn fat. And in that yeah. case it might, but I don't know that yeah. that's the best so- I can give you. I do it with EAAs beforehand mm, yep. or before or during. Yeah. Um, and that's it. So it's not completely fasted, but uh, I also do it for mental health. I feel like doing it fasted feels, it gives me a mental clarity and it kind of starts my day off properly. It's not, I don't think it burns more fat. I don't think any of that. I just think it, it's a better way for me to start my day. So perfect. Yeah. I mean, in that case, it makes perfect sense. And I know a lot of clients like that like that. Actually, a lot of people, um, I did a poll on YouTube for this yesterday and I was really surprised by this 30% of, excuse me, 30% of my audience trains fasted, like with weights. trains fasted. Yeah. Trains fasted. And I was like, that's crazy. But it goes to show that like a lot of people do get that high of like, they wake yeah. up, take their BCA or their, I like EAA is better than BCA. Yeah. So they take yeah. their EAAs or whatever, take their shake, yeah. um, or don't take anything. I don't know. Um, and get the workout done. And then it's like, now I got my appetite. I have my post-workout meal and I'm going to start the day off. And like that sets them up for success for the day, which I think is, 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 is understandable. I don't think it's necessarily the most optimal, but I, what I would say is if you're going to do the fasted training, which to me, I've never, I couldn't imagine because I feel like garbage first thing in the morning. So I I don't like it at all. But if, if there are these people, like everybody has a different chronotype. Like I'm more of a late I peak later in the day. Some people are earlier, right? So it's understandable. If you're going to do it though, I would do what you do and have either EAAs or some kind of pro like fast digesting protein. Um, and consider maybe even if it's like a little bit of uh, like a Gatorade or something like that um, to give you energy. And then if you're going to do it fasted, your post-workout meal suddenly becomes much more important because you have nothing in your system and you need to get that repair recovery process going much faster. Um, Like you, if you've spent the last 
you know, eight to 12 hours fasting overnight, and then you yeah. train, like even the research would show that now getting that post-workout meal in fairly quickly is yeah. suddenly much more urgent. So anyway, I'm going to talk about that in an upcoming video, but are you somebody who doesn't believe in the post-workout window? <laughs> I love, I love this conversation. Cause we're just like hitting all of the, like the talking myth, points of where points. bros and science <laughs> nerds like disagree. Well, it's so great. No, but, no, but so far, <laughs> but so far I, I've agreed with you on everything. That's the interesting thing. Listen, I, I, I hope I'm not being too diplomatic because like, <laughs> I, I don't no, want like I, this. No, I hope I don't, what I don't want is like the science people to come for me and be like, Oh, this study and that study. But like, I legitimately just feel like I have like come almost full circle with this where it's like, Yes, there are certain truths in the science that I'm very confident in. For example, we spoke about uh, the failure versus RP8. I'm actually pretty convinced that there's not a big difference there if there is. And if there is, it would apply to someone like yeah. you and not the average person. So anyway, like I'm not afraid to make a strong stance on this. It's just like, I legitimately do feel like it's like the truth is like, there's a, just this huge gray area with all Jeff, this stuff. Can, can I ask you how old you are? I'm 30. Okay. So you're 30. So you've been studying this stuff for at least 10, 15 years. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. So this is what I've noticed in my life. Cause I've, I'm 43 and I've been, you know, doing the bodybuilding thing for 20 years, at least since I was 20. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, I have noticed that the guys that are hard stuck on a certain thing are guys that are new mm -hmm. or younger or completely married to their work. Anybody who's been around for a decade or more has usually come around to the fact that there are other ways to do things. Yeah. So I think that's why our discussion is not as uh, combative as other people might want it to be, <laughs> because I can totally agree with you that it doesn't have, like, if you asked me about fasted cardio 10 years ago, I'd have been like, no, it's the way to do it. It's the only way to do it. And that's how I've been doing it for 15 years. Right. But after you, you know, you just learn new things. So I don't think, uh, that's awesome. I, I, I feel, I feel similarly. I've, I've come like that too. I've come to be like, it's at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's bodybuilding and training. And if you're be, trying to be the best version of yourself, then like, who am I to say you're doing it wrong? Really? Yeah. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so, uh, what was it? Oh, post-workout nutrition or whatever. Yeah. I just, yeah. I, the, the only bad thing about us agreeing on stuff vaguely is, or well, not vaguely, but is I don't know how much information we're giving people because we're kind of like, just do whatever you want. <laughs> I, I, I don't, I don't think that's true though, because <laughs> it, 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 one thing that's probably that it had problematic. It's like an issue is that people actually will hear like you have to do six to eight reps. Yes. All that. And then like, they'll hear these very strict prescriptions. And I think it's actually more helpful to hear that. Like there are a few fundamental principles, like there needs to be a tensile stimulus on the muscle. You need to be consistent. You need to train yeah. sufficiently hard. You need yeah. to use good technique. Um, you know, and, and beyond that, a lot of it, a lot of it really does come down to personal preference and personal experimentation. And I feel like that's a good message because that is the truth. Yeah. And like, honestly, I wish I had that message earlier on because like I got wrapped up in some like, very hard nose, like dogmatic styles of training. And I was like, this is the way it has to be, or I'm not going to make any gains. And I think it's good to get people out of that mindset because it's like, there are very, a, a lot of different ways to like skin the cat, so to speak. Yeah. So I think that's a good thing for people to hear, honestly. Okay. So um, yeah. post-workout nutrition, you're not going to tell me you don't believe in it, do you? <laughs> so I don't. And I think that anyone, no, I think that anyone who says they don't believe in it hasn't actually read the papers on this because okay. even in the papers that supposedly bust the anabolic window, yeah. 
what they actually say is that the window is wider than we used yeah. to think okay. and that it's actually like so and it actually depends on the pre-workout meal so yeah. if if you there's a four to five hour window in which you can train sure and that is how you should bracket it with protein so like if you eat your pre-workout meal let's say this is rare but let's say you eat your pre-workout meal four hours before training okay, okay. then you train for one hour five hours have passed you have to have your post-workout protein as fast as possible. Right like away, yeah. now you, you, let's be realistic. Your muscles are not going to fall off if you don't have it or whatever. Yeah, right. But right. like, if we're talking about like an optimization approach, yes, have it quickly. Um, if you have your pre-workout meal, let's say what would be nor more normal, an, like hour. One to, an hour before yeah. training. Yeah. And then you train for an hour. I do believe that you have a couple hours that you can play with on the other side of that. And it's not as big of a deal. Again, there's a split in the discussion here between what I would recommend to the average person who's like not wanting to worry about as many little things as possible versus someone who's trying to optimize absolutely every last morsel of muscle that they can possibly build. Yeah. And this is one of those situations where it's like, if it's no inconvenience to you to throw a protein shake in your gym bag and have it after the gym, why not? Um, but at the same time, like it also, I don't think is doing you any big disservice to wait until you get back home from the gym and have a, a solid whole food meal. Um, okay. so. so this, so this is where a lot of, this is the tough part about having this conversation is so many people have so many different goals. Like if you're talking to me, I'm like every gram of muscle I can build matters. So if it means I have to drink a shake right after I'm done, then I'm going to do it. Whereas like the guy that has a full-time job and a family is like, I just want to look good. I don't care if like I maximized, right. So I guess we have to have the conversation in a sense of what's the most optimal because it's the only way to really have the conversation. Yep. The, the common theme in bo the bodybuilding world is you have to eat every two or three hours, right? Yep. That's kind of the way we think. Now, a lot of science guys will say to me, well, it doesn't matter. It's just whatever you eat. And like you said, in the 24-hour window. So let's say I have to get in 400 grams or 300 grams of protein in the day. Right. Yeah. Which is what I generally have to get in about 300. Yeah. Grams, right. So can, does that mean I can eat 300 grams between six and 10 at night and then not worry about the rest of the day? Because that's confusing to someone like me. Right. Like I'm like, mm -hmm. okay, so all my life I've been told, you know, 50 grams every two hours adds up to 300 grams for the day, six meals. And what's your body so weight? Uh, well, right now, 270. So I'm just over a gram. Okay. So yeah. 300 does, I, I would, I would say that in the off season, if you're in a caloric surplus, yeah. um, I, I would, I would think 400 would be excessive. Like, I, I don't know if you would require that much I, to build muscle, even at your size. And maybe in a deficit, you could go you know, 350 to 400. Well, a lot of the, the previous, a lot of the pre, like what I used to do when I was coming up, a lot of the previous literature for whatever uh, that's worth um magazine literature was uh 1.5 grams per pound of lean body mass right so that would put me around 350 to 400 being 290 pounds right yeah because i was yeah. bigger bigger than so anyway it doesn't matter whether it's 300 or 400 the, right. okay. the, the point i'm asking is <clears throat> is it gonna benefit me the same to get in let's say i don't want to eat any protein from now until dinner time and then i eat my protein my last two or three meals of the day, I get all 300 grams in. I just, I mean, eat, a, I just eat a massive steak. Every would you, yeah. Okay. It's just <laughs> right? a tub of protein. It's just a yeah, sludge just, tub. The whole like, tub, you just pour water in it. And four, four <laughs> scoops away. It just, okay, right? It's funny. Cause I think Ronnie like used to almost do this, right? Like I remember some of his old videos, he would take like 
eight scoops of synthesis. Like it was yeah. just like, it was so yeah. Yeah, but, I was like, bro, how can you even yeah. drink that? And well, not that was puke? also with <laughs> Nestle quick fucking. Yeah, yeah no, um, but no, but, but being, I'm being dead serious. I know, I yeah, know it yeah, sounds, yeah. I'm not trying to be, I'm honestly not trying to be argumentative. No, no, I, no, no I'm really, good. I'm really just trying to understand if that's an actual thing. Like, can I skip protein meals earlier in the day? If I don't feel like eating my chicken at meal two, and I want to just get it in later when I'm more hungry, is it matter? Yeah. So this is another one that is up for debate, honestly, in the scientific community. Um, a few years ago, I might have said, actually, a few, a few years ago, I might have said it's it's better if you space them out because okay. there, there, I don't know if you're familiar. There's a researcher named Stu Phillips. He's at McMaster University, actually, here in Ontario. Okay. And he, he, he did a study where he, he did see uh, better uh, uh, protein synthesis outcomes with uh, what was a uh, intermediate approach to protein bolusing. So essentially, if you can put all your protein in one meal, mm -hmm. or you can put it in, I believe it was like three to five meals, okay. Okay. or you can put it in six to eight meals, something like that. And the, the middle one, was the best. So like okay. three to spacing it out three to five, and there doesn't seem to be much of a difference, honestly, between three to five. Okay. And so from a protein synthetic standpoint, I would say that three to five meals evenly spaced is the, is the best way to do it. Okay. Now, the issue with research is that nothing is ever really final. Like we're just, con you know, I'm not doing the studies, but they're doing studies to try to get closer to what the actual truth is. And yeah. so a lot of people will see this as like flip-flopping or whatever. It's not, it's just that we have to keep an open mind because we're not, we're not trying to double down on, yeah. well, we said this once. So now if there's another study that finds something different, then we need to look at that and say, huh, how does that fit in with this? And how do we need to adjust our recommendations based on this new bit of information, right? So I'm aware of some research that, that, that does actually show a bigger muscle pro protein synthetic spike that lasts longer from a very high protein meal. So like hundred grams of protein yeah. in one meal. Yeah. And so the intermittent fasting community uh, fucking loves this study yeah, yeah. because it's like I can eat 100 yeah. grams in one meal and it still <laughs> has a long protein synthetic curve. Yeah. So this is great yeah. news yeah. for us, right? I still, for someone like you, right, to answer your question, I don't think you should do that. I, I feel like spacing your protein out across at least, even for you, 300 grams of protein, three meals, that would be 100 grams of protein yeah, in a meal. Gross. I mean, that's still yeah. a lot, right? I used, so, to, I used to do something similar. You know, it's crazy. I, you'd be blown away <laughs> if I told you I used to eat 12 ounce portions of meat cooked dirt for each meal. So that's approximately 75 to 80 grams of protein, if not more. Damn. Yeah. So I was doing that for a little while. I mean, my protein count was up at like 500, 500 grams for a little while. Wow. That's yeah. impressive. So, honestly, it's, no, well, it's, it's not necessary is what it is, but I didn't know at the time. Yeah. Um, fair enough. So, okay. So, what are we, so we're telling people what, would it be fair to say that if you're eating five or six meals a day or four or five, six meals a day, it's better to split it up just to get it in properly. Is that fair to say, but not necessarily for better muscle growth. Okay. So I'll, I'll, I'll break this down very, like in, in my opinion, very, sure. as clearly as yeah. I possibly can. Sure. I think that total daily protein intake is by far the most important factor. So just making sure you're hitting something in the general ballpark of one gram of uh, protein per pound of body weight 
some researchers do like to go lower than that, uh, but it, it ultimately does depend on if you're in a, a deficit or a surplus. If you're in okay. a deficit, you're at a greater risk of muscle mass. In that case, I would recommend to going maybe a little bit higher, but sure. one is a good good ballpark. For you, you you, you like to go higher than that. I, I, you know, I'm not going to criticize that. That's an, no, no, I'm an, an intake. I'm generally, I'm generally one gram. I think one, one gram. Okay. Is, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So anyway, so that, that is like, if we set this up as a pyramid, that would be the base of the pyramid. That is the most important thing. Right. Um, if you go up from there, it would be protein distribution. Um, so this is what we just talked about, how you space that protein out throughout the day. So if it's sure. like one big meal or a bunch of small meals, yeah. but that, like most of the pyramid is taken up by total daily protein. And this is like a little bit, probably a little bit better based on my current opinion. Um, then if you go up from there, it would be specific timing. So this would be like timing it before and after the workout, which yep. matters. Um, and timing before bed, because that's when you're going to be going the longest period of time being uh, catabolic, so to speak. Right. Sure. Yeah. So having like some kind of protein, even you, if you really want to optimize a slow digesting protein uh, before bed would make sense. Um, but it's pretty high up on the pyramid. And then um, people might bicker over what, what order these go in, but then, then it would be uh, protein quality. So, yeah. um, you know, you'd have things like, Oh, a really high quality protein would be like whey protein, egg whites, you know, those sorts of things. Sure. Uh, and, and, and here I'm defining quality as leucine content because that's ultimately what triggers uh, anabolism. Um, and then, you know, vegan sources of protein would be uh, relatively lower quality. Um, yeah like rice and, you know, beans and stuff like that, but you can overcome that by, you know, combining protein sources and maybe just eating a little bit more protein overall. And then there are some high leucine vegan sources, like uh, I think hemp protein, um, and you know, some others that, uh, vegans would know better than me. Um, but that would be, that would go up high. And the reason that's so high is that if you're eating enough total daily protein and they're from, you know, uh, carnivorous sources, uh, for the most part, or high quality vegan sources, then you've almost get, like by default, don't really need to worry about like nitpicking, like, Oh, yeah. there's slightly higher leucine in the way compared to the chicken or the tuna or whatever. It's like, yeah. it's you're yeah. eating enough that it doesn't really matter. So that's how I would structure it. So in that context, you can try to figure out, okay, am I someone who's just trying to go to work, get, get the job done and get, you know, 80% of the results, then like, I don't think you need to worry about any of that stuff. Hit your total daily protein. You'll be fine, which is great news for you because you can get most of the results with not actually that much effort. Yeah. Uh, for someone like you, you might want to try to optimize all those other little levels, which is perfectly reasonable as well. Just realize that uh, they will have a substantially lower impact than the main level, which is total daily protein intake. Does that make okay. sense? Yeah, it does make sense. Yeah. Um, okay, listen. So, uh, Jeff, I have like, I could probably go on with you for like another three hours. Cause I have more and more questions. I don't know how much time you have. Are you, uh, I'm chill. Um, you got I, like enough, it, you got if, 20 if, minutes. Yeah, bro. No, I'm, I'm really enjoying it, man. Like it's really like cool talking to you. Cause you're like so chill and like, I can, we can just like, not disagree, but like just come at this from like slightly different <laughs> vantage points. And, yeah. and I enjoy it. That was, you know, part of, you know, going back to that, but like, that's what I, loved about John is that like, he, he, he is truly open-minded. Right. So it's yeah, like, he, yeah. he doesn't get his back up about stuff. And like, yeah. I feel like you're very similar to that. So it's, it's totally chill with me. So cool. yeah, let's do, let's chat for like another, yeah. And then it'll be uh two 30 and we'll call it. I got it. 20 minutes. Yeah. I got 20 minutes. Yeah. I just want to do, uh, I want to get into carbs, proteins, but I want to get into, or sorry, carbs and fats. But before we get into that, I want to ask you about if it fits your macros versus traditional bodybuilding diets, because I know you're, you said you're a disciple of, 
Lane Norton, or you worked under you worked under <laughs> Lane Norton, a disciple. <laughs> I just I'm actually Judas. I just <laughs> so no, but uh, so so yeah, I want to ask you about that because people are very hard and fast. Like, okay, so me and Greg Doucette constantly have like a little battle going on. He does the whole main gaining thing, and I do the bulking thing. And <clears throat> there's obviously different reasons why people do either, and I'm not, that's not the debate I want to get into. But one of the things we get into also is I've seen him do videos about other bodybuilders where, well, you don't have to eat chicken and rice. You can eat all these other things, which I don't disagree with, but is it, what do you think about the whole, I don't want to call it just if it fits your macros. I want to call uh, what I want, what I'm trying to get to is how do you feel when you train your, when you're coaching your clients, are you, do you feel like it's easier for people to follow a diet that is consists of fewer foods or more variety mm -hmm. and does it depend on the athlete themselves yeah well i'm i'm happy to side with uh, you over greg on <laughs> any issue we can start a proxy war with him anytime you know no no i don't know greg's, greg's a good guy i just i'm kidding, I'm kidding. we have a I, I actually to be honest with you i like his uh you know it'd be it I'm just not built that way. Like it would be cool to be able to do the variety thing with the food. I just am not, I tend to stray from my diet if I have too much variety. Yeah. So I try and keep it a little more simple. So that's I, why. I, I th funny. Yeah. I think that's the best argument for it. Um, when, you know, th this is a, a thing that a bodybuilding audience would definitely relate to when you get to a very deep stage of contest prep. Um, the, if it fits your macros approach, and I've found this personally, cause it's the one that I usually take, mm -hmm. uh, is a slippery slope where if you are like, okay, I'm going to fit in this little bit of chocolate. Right. And it's like, okay, I'll, I'll measure that, put that on the scale measure or like this little bit of pop chart. I'll put that on there. And then you get that taste. It's like, it gets to a point where it's like, if you have any tendency of like impulsive behavior, it becomes extremely hard to not have another little bit of Pop-Tart. And then before you know it, you've blown your whole day's calories on Pop-Tarts. And how effective is that going to be at fueling your training and, you know, your energy levels throughout the day and so on and so forth. Um, so for me, actually the last show that I did, which was a, a pro natural show, I pretty much just switched over completely to a meal plan for like the last four weeks, because, um, frankly, I just didn't trust myself enough to be yeah. able to like actually have the willpower to have a bit of a ice cream or what have you, and yeah. not want to make that be my total dailies days worth of carbs. Yeah. Um, so that from a psychological mental willpower standpoint definitely has its merits in a contest prep scenario mm -hmm. for sure. Um, I, but on the other hand, of course, I know people who have, they've eaten cereal all the way through and it's like, they yeah. see it's, it seems to work for them. I'm, ugh, I, I yeah. struggle with that more to be honest with you. Um, but when making general weight loss advice, which is what I think Greg mostly does these yeah, days. Yeah. Um, I think it is smarter and more appropriate to say, okay, it really does ultimately come down to like caloric balance and total sure. pro daily protein intake for, uh, muscle building and fat loss. And then from a health standpoint, I think it would be like a little negligent to say, like, it doesn't matter what you eat. Yeah. It, it really, you know, it, it is a good idea to, to prioritize like non-processed whole foods and mm -hmm. that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and then from, even from a like satiety standpoint, a lot of people are not as diligent as say you and I would be during a uh, contest prep diet. A lot of people uh, just try to um, 
eat like a balance, a generally balanced diet. And so that for them, I think it's particularly important to emphasize, you know, a whole unprocessed, like micronutrient rich foods, because it's just going to make them feel more satiated. Like, you know, eating a bowl of oatmeal and fruit is going to do a lot more for you than eating a bowl of lucky charms. Like it's just going to keep you feeling full longer. And it, you know, then there's other factors like digestion and so on and so forth. So it isn't as black and white as, you know, you have to eat clean. One thing we do that is actually quite black and white is you don't have to eat clean to lose fat. Like, let's be real. Like there've been natural bodybuilders that have gotten extremely shredded with, and if it fits your macros approach, but, um, there is nuance to that in the sense that like, it's better to blend the wisdom, I think from both sides. Meaning what? Uh, so, so the, the bro side wisdom yeah. is that it emphasizes whole unprocessed yeah. micronutrient rich foods for the most part. Right. Yep. Um, that's very helpful because it'll make your life a lot e- easier in terms of you'll be much more satiated. You'll be less likely to binge or go, you know, over your macros. Yep. And it'll also probably be better from a training performance standpoint, because, um, you know, you're not like eating the super high sugar and crashing, and then you've got no macros left for the rest of the day. Like a lot of people just pretend those problems don't exist in the, yeah. if it fits your macros crowd and they, they really do. Yeah. Um, so that's what the bros get right. Uh, what this, science guys i think get right is that ultimately i I do believe that it does come down to uh the macros when it comes to fat loss like we could nitpick over okay if you eat such an unhealthy uh, diet and your food choices you could actually run into some micronutrient deficiencies like if you're not eating enough zinc for example like your testosterone could be lowered and then that could actually hurt your training performance could actually cause you to lose more muscle than you would on say a more bro diet that might include like some red meat or whatever what have you um But in in any case, that's kind of nitpicking. I think overall, I do believe that fat loss does ultimately come down to the macros. But for all that, I think like the extreme, if it fits your macros, just eat whatever and you'll be fine. Have you done it? Have you tried to get really, really lean doing it? Because it's, it's easier said than done. I, like I said, I don't, I have, um, if I have a piece of something that has sugar in it, I'm done. Like I, I, for me, it's like that kind of, th- kind of thing. Like once you turn the tap on and it's just like, it's running full blast. So I can't yeah. like, if I have a piece of chocolate, I'm having the whole chocolate bar. So unfortunately, me, uh, I'm more like that too. Yeah. So for me, I feel like I just keeps my sanity when I know, okay, these are my five. And plus variety is to me, it's, I don't have the time, man. I don't, I don't want to cook a whole bunch of different meals. Yeah. I like cooking a whole batch of chicken, cooking a whole batch of steak, throw it in the fridge. And then I can just make a pot of rice and that's my food. You know, I can frozen vegetables, my, my day is done. Right. Yeah. So it's just simple. It's easy. I don't have to think about mixing these, this and that food and counting calories. And I'm like, yeah. just no. So yeah. <laughs> for, for, for me, it's not, it, for me, it's not that it doesn't work. Like you said, it's more psychological. It's uh, number one, I want to stay on my diet. Number two, it's very low maintenance. It's just easy to do no thinking involved. Once you have the plan, it's set and you kind of move forward. So I just, for me, I, I, I just don't know if I can do that. If it fits your macros thing, but one of the questions I have about it is not necessarily, I guess it's kind of about it, but do food choices make a difference in your body composition? Because I know calories in calories out is going to equal like your fat loss, but the way your body looks, is that dependent on what you're eating? Let me ask you, do you think that if you followed your diet now, but let's say you took out all the 
I'm assuming you probably eat rice, right? Yeah. Um, like let's say you take out the rice and you replace it with jelly beans, but the macros are the same, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and you do your contest prep. Do you think your physique would look the same, exactly the same or different? And assuming you are, were a robot and you weren't tempted to go over on the jelly beans, what do you think? I'm going to give the wrong answer. <laughs> <laughs> You're the pro. You're the pro. Well, you know? no, but that doesn't mean anything. I'm a pro. But <laughs> I'm just going to give you the answer that I think, but doesn't mean it's right. No, I think the rice is going to make me look better. Hmm, interesting. Only so, because only because I feel like, just to, to explain my answer, and this could make sense or could not make sense. I don't know, but I feel like the jelly beans would give me a spike, and then I would crash, and then I would feel worse. I don't know if my muscle would look the same as eating because I think of the amount of jelly beans I would be allowed to have for, uh, let's say I'm eating 200 grams of rice, you know, five times a day, that's a thousand grams of rice. I mean, how many, you know, how many jelly beans is that going to be like a handful, a bag? And then what I ate those I'm starving for the rest of the day. So I'm like, you know, or what did I, what was I allowed to eat? Like six jelly beans per meal? Like what am I doing? It's just, it sounds horrible. And it doesn't sound like my performance would be as good in the gym. It doesn't sound like my muscles would be as full, but I could be wrong. I mean, I've never tried the experiment, but that's what I would think off the top of my head. Right. So I, I think that's reasonable. I, I think we do like disagree a bit on this one. Cause I, yeah. I, I would, my impulse would be, no, yeah. I think your physique would look exactly the same, Really, but yeah, but, um, now that you've said that, that's interesting because if you were going to come at this from your angle, mm. your angle, um, you would do, I think you, you would make that case from the, a training performance standpoint, because yeah. I, I do think that if, if you are the type of person, and I'm actually like this myself, I, I tend, if I eat like a very high glycemic carbs, uh, before training, for example, um, yeah. I tend to crash more. And yeah. I notice that, especially my workouts are pretty long. I tend to be in the gym like two hours. So yeah. I, I do notice that. And I, and I do intra workout nutrition for that reason. It's like, for whatever reason, the way my insulin is regulated, I tend to get pretty lightheaded fairly, uh, easily. Yeah. Um, so that that's a, that's an interesting point. But again, in the original example, I said, let's assume you were a robot. So, okay, but you, what about, so, so no, again, we have to, this is what, about the, what about the fullness of the muscles? Let's say I'm absolutely shredded. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm filling out for a show. It's show. Showtime is three days away or whatever tomorrow. <laughs> and they're like, you're allowed to have, I don't know what's in a thousand grams of rice. How many, how many grams of carbs? And I thought, so 200 grams of rice is like 50 grams of carbs. So let's say times five is 250 grams of carbs. Say, yeah. So 250 grams of carbs is how many jelly beans? Like 20? Like <laughs> how did we get? No, I, I, just, I, I honestly, uh, I'm just saying like, so imagine like you have to carb, know. if you had to carb load, do you think your physique would look the same on Saturday when you step on stage eating a thousand grams from rice or eating the same amount of carbs from jelly beans? <laughs> Like, I don't, I don't, it's a, it's it a would, slight, it's a slightly different question than what I originally asked, because this is talking about peak week, which I think, no, but I'm, the, well, I'm, I'm trying to think of the look of the muscle. Cause that's what the question I had was right. your muscle, your body composition. So would the look of a muscle, when you stare, like if a guy is flat, completely flat and you go to carb load them, would the look of the muscle look the same eating the uh, same amount of jelly beans in carbs versus the same amount of rice in carbs? So for, I, I think the differences would be if, if there were differences, it would be extremely small. Um, and I think, uh, 
there are good reasons not to take jelly beans uh, as your primary carb source <laughs> in peak week, but <laughs> but from if we're, again if we're if it's the robot scenario where like you know uh, you don't have these these hunger signals and like you're not yeah. tempted to go over which people do in peak week yeah. it's like bro yeah. just just wait one more week yeah, like yeah, don't yeah. go crazy right yeah. uh, so I think bland foods during peak week is actually really important honestly because yeah. people like start to freak out and they stress and then it's like okay. I'll have a little bit of this and then like you know me and yeah. you have both done we they tend to freak out um and then a big thing with peak week is uh bloating becomes a concern and a major cause of bloating in a lot of people is refined sugar so do you think, do you think that's not a good idea but, but from a fat from a visual appearance visual standpoint yeah. no I, I i i would be surprised honestly if there was a, a big difference but do you we, think we, there's I would a need way... the study to know for sure do you think there's a way that the body, and, and like I said, this is completely bro thinking. So it might, it might like make, make your mind explode, but is there, is there, does it like, would you, would you think that there's a way that the body processes a slower stream of carbs throughout the day, rather than eating like a the high fructose, like spike of jelly beans, right? Like, that's what I mean by body composition. Wouldn't, wouldn't you look fuller? Wouldn't you look better? And I'm not talking about bloating or, or even if you, if you weren't going to eat overeat or anything, I'm talking about just physically the appearance of the muscle. So, so yes, there are definitely physiological differences in how your body absorbs, digests and utilizes different carb sources. So like that, yeah. that definitely is true, right? Like eating, you know, an equivalent of oatmeal, again, compared to, uh, jelly beans will have differential effects on your body. Like for one, the fiber, yeah. uh, in oatmeal will have a, a different effect on your digestion and that kind of thing. Um, but what the muscle I think ultimately comes down to, like, why does the muscle look fuller? Well, there's either more muscle tissue, which is training protein, or there's more glycogen, which is carbohydrates. Right. Uh, it's glucose. And, Ultimately, um, there's a bit of an exception with fiber because that gets turned into, I think, short chain fatty acids. And then that isn't, you know, not useful in terms of getting stored as glycogen or it's just excreted. Mm -hmm. Um, but when it comes to carbohydrate, it, 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 it tends to have a common end place, uh, which is glucose, which is then converted to glycogen. Okay. Um, so I, I, like I, I can see if you wanted to make that argument potentially from a water retention standpoint, potentially, uh, or a digestive bloating standpoint, but from a muscle fullness standpoint, I, I don't, I, I do come down on the IF, IFYM side, uh, on that one. Yeah. I think visually, I think I kind of do too. I hate to say it and I would never do it or advise anybody to do it because of all the other reasons we talked right. about. Right. But I do think I do agree with you at its, at its very, very finest point of just like, is the glycogen glycogen? There's not really an argument in that sense. Yeah. And, and you have to think about like, what is it that we're actually talking? Like you can say these terms, right? Like muscle fullness or the, the muscle belly or the shape yeah. of it. It's like, yeah. we're talking about, these are technically anatomical terms. So like what's going on. And yeah. if you break it down on that level, it's like, well, there's no real reason to think that, but for all that, it's still not advisable to Binge yeah. your peak week on you know, beans. fruit roll-ups and <laughs> Pop-Tarts. All right. So we just spent 20 minutes proving nothing. <laughs> no, it's interesting um, to think about though. And, and yeah. I think the reason I do that is because um, one of the, um, one of my gripes, I guess you could say with the uh, clean eating side um, is not so much that it isn't effective, just that it gives 
it from a general, again, physique competitors and stuff is a little bit different. Um, from a general fat loss standpoint, I think it can lock people in to this mentality of eating where it becomes very black and white. And so they mm. think like, I can't have any of this food or I'm going to just be super fat all of a sudden. And yeah. it's like, we, we, we know that's not true. And yeah. that if you take that to the extreme, it can lead to some like pretty unfavorable um, consequences from like a eating behavior standpoint. Um, and so for that reason, I think like it's a good idea. And when you're giving general nutrition advice to be like, okay, something like 80%, 90%, you know, different experts will put different figures on it, uh, of your food choices should be coming from, like I said, whole yeah. minimally processed or unprocessed foods, like single ingredient foods, fruits, yep. vegetables, lean meats, so on and so forth. Um, and that should be the most of your diet. And, you know, the, if you want to have 20% worth of, you know, if you're dieting, that could be a low calorie ice cream option, or mm -hmm. it could be, you know, the chocolate bar or whatever. Then I think that that's yeah. perfectly acceptable. And I think that that's actually better from a long-term um, yeah. fat loss standpoint for that population where it, where that advice breaks down is when you get into the late stages of a contest prep and the, the hormone, the, like everything in your physiology is just telling you to eat more. And then you get that dopamine hit from the chocolate bar and it's really hard to control that. And then all yeah. the other factors we talked about with yeah. like training performance and digestion and stuff like that. So, yeah, I was that guy back in the day who was like, man, even if somebody cooked me a chicken breast and it didn't have anything in it, but it tasted better than the way I cooked it, I thought something was wrong. I'm like, I'm going to wow. get fat. I'm going to get fatter from this. I, I, I was too, to be honest. I, I was like, like I, I, if it tasted good, there was something wrong. I'm like, no, 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 this isn't, this is, you know what I mean? Like that's where my mind went. But, um, and I also think maybe the argument is framed wrong from a lot of people on my side. Cause as we just like, as we kind of just established, these rules are not kind of in a vacuum, right? Like, yes, glycogen is glycogen at its very, like, you know, at the very finest point, but we didn't, you're not factoring in all these other things like psychological things and bloating and digestion. And so maybe that's why those other reasons, you know, that's maybe that's why guys like me don't want to do those other things, but they don't know how to express it that way. I, I'm curious, what foods do you like for peak week? Um, I'm wondering if we like overlap on that. Or... Um, generally, if I start loading, I start loading on a Wednesday before a show and I usually load heavy carbs and proteins, lower fats on the Wednesday. And then that carb fat kind of switches places like it crosses as the day goes on. So it's like Thursday will be a little bit more fat, a little less carbs. Friday will be even more fat and a little less carbs. Gotcha. So it's kind of like the, it, it's almost like the fewer amount of carbs will dry you out as you get closer to the show. Mm, interesting. The, but the fats will keep you full. Hmm. So I can see that. Yeah. Um, in terms of like food sources, like for carbs, like are you oh. like potatoes or rice or rice cakes? Like what do you um, tend to generally rice and cream of rice are, okay. are always my, yeah. and it's almost just those two really. I, hmm. And rarely, you know, the day of the show, I might have some rice cakes, but most of the time it's just rice and cream of rice. And then uh, protein sources are generally chicken, steak and Friday. I'll throw in some ground beef for a little bit more fat. Gotcha. Yeah. I, I, I generally, um, recommend that people, uh, leading into peak week will be much more intentional with their food choices and see kind of like what, you know, seems to digest well for you. Like doesn't give you any bloating that you like feel gives you a good response in terms yeah. of like muscle fullness and, and all that sort of thing. And what I've found it's usually, uh, potatoes, um, white rice tends to be very safe. Um, yeah. and like you said, uh, porridge or like, uh, 
cream, cream of rice. meat or cream of rice or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, oatmeal is surprisingly, I find actually a good one. I find very few people will actually get bloated on oatmeal yeah. in my experience. For me, um, so for, me for me, potatoes and oatmeal, not for me personally, but what I've noticed with my clients is potatoes and oatmeal are hit and miss depending on the person. I can see that. Some but it's people, probably because of the fiber, right? Yeah. 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 So, uh, but I, but I, that's another reason why they, if it fits your macros thing is foreign to me because I like to know all those foods ahead of time. So throughout an entire contest prep of 12 weeks, I'd be experimenting with potatoes or expand, experimenting with sweet potato or oatmeal or whatever. So by the time it gets to peak week, I'm so in tune with my body that I know these are the carbs that work. These are the proteins that work. I mean, I've done preps where I've done a peak week where the last three days I eat mostly fish just because I know it felt so good going into the show. We didn't, we didn't switch it out. We kept the fish going all the way through. So I, I think that's part of the reason too, why bodybuilders stick to a certain plan just to kind of have a safe gauge of what they're doing. Thanks, um, I could, you know, I could go on forever with you, Jeff. I just, uh, I think I'm going to pause here, but I'd like to get you on another time somewhere down the road and we can, talk more about different science you can teach me more about science and i can <laughs> no honestly i'm really glad that it went that route because for me um i i don't have a lot of exposure to like the ifbb side uh, in terms of like how they're training so it, it went you know if i'm gonna speak to like sometimes i will do this in videos where i'll compare and contrast like this is what like the, yeah. the bro side or the pro side is yeah. it would say it would yeah. say and this is what the science side would say and I, a common theme i think amongst my videos is that like the the best advice is usually somewhere in, sure. in the middle, but it does yeah. depend on the topic. But anyway, um, I was hoping we would do that because it like, I think actually maybe for a future podcast, it would be cool if like you, we kind of just chopped it up about like, what is it that, what is the, the way most people are training in the IFBB landscape? Like are, are most people going to failure or are they doing like a mind muscle connection type thing? And then like, yeah. I can say, well, in the, in the natural leagues and in the science community, most people are doing this and like just yeah. compare and contrast. I think that would be really cool. And we could yeah. go through like techniques, like do you use constant tension or do you use like full range of motion or like uh, when it comes to like uh, frequency, like uh, and um, uh, splits and we can go through, I don't know, a ton of different variables and stuff like yeah. that. That'd be dope. Yeah. I'd be happy to, man. I just, cool. I feel I, these generally run an hour and we've been on for more and I'm, I feel like I could just keep you here and keep talking to, I can keep talking like, all these different myths for another three hours. So I'm just going to, I'm going to split it out. Let's split it out yeah. for the next one. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll pause here and we'll, I'll get you back on. I'm sure uh, there's a lot more uh, questions I have for you, but is there anything you want to say or promote or any message you want to put out kind of before we go? No, man, I honestly, I really appreciate you uh, coming on. I think I'll be able to like reach an audience that, you know, may not be so familiar with my channel. So I, I really do yeah. appreciate the opportunity. Um, as for me, yeah, you already shouted out my YouTube channel at the beginning and that's where I do, you know, most of my work these days. So, um, mm -hmm. other than that, yeah, no, I, I, uh, I just appreciate you having me on, man. Okay, man. Then we'll do it again. Uh, some down the, somewhere down the line and, uh, maybe next time I can stump you with the jelly beans. I'll think of a yes. better reason. <laughs> <laughs> the jelly bean paradox. We're going to be thinking about that all day. Yeah. <laughs> all right, Jeff. All right, bro. Thank you very much, brother. We'll yeah. talk soon. My pleasure. See ya. Okay, man. Bye-bye. Thanks for watching. Please subscribe, share with your friends, and like the video. And if you get a chance, check out the description for all the different links to all the different places you can find Hostile and myself. And lastly, check out Hostile.com for our new line of supplements and all of our apparel and gear. Thanks again for watching.